Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Hello. We try our best. We do. We try over here, over hot dish. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, and coffee and bars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Kenyon. I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. And we have a very special fan pick episode this week. But before we get into it, I think we also have a butt plug. I, do, I have a little butt plug, oh. just a baby one. Oh, a starter, a starter. Okay. So, a gentle plug. one. Yeah, just a gentle a plug. Starter? Remember, <laughs> if you're a starter pack, um, if you recall right before the holidays, we plugged my friend Lily's local jewelry studio. <gasps> yes. I just wanted to bring up that we got our stuff from them, our Gemini bracelets and rings and how freaking gorgeous they are. And just a reminder to check out ILO Studio on Instagram. She's also launching a website. She's a Minneapolis local. She has a studio in, I think it's the Casket Arts Building. You can go in on their like first Thursday open house and see her gorgeous stuff. But check out her Instagram because we got our stuff and it's really beautiful. And I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. So I just want to remind people, ILO studio mm-hmm. on instagram shout out Check to our out. friend andy of starman press whose studio is also in that same building yeah that's right he did our first shirts mm-hmm. yes hi andy they have so many cool things in that space mm-hmm. there's so much cool artist space over in northeast minneapolis and casket arts building is a really really cool is it not a literal casket. casket building though like they used to it- make coffins there they used to make coffins there, which is for Kenyon a great segue. A great transition to this week's topic. Yeah. Um, our fan pick topic, we've been so excited for this one, is vampire serial killers. OMJ, y'all. <laughs> OMJ. Makes me want some chocolatey cereal. Mm-hmm. Makes me wonder where a lot of our goth friends from middle school ended up mm-hmm. because I saw some photos while doing my research. Mm-hmm. Brought back a lot of <laughs> that memories. <were laughs> reminiscent of a lot of my fashion. Yep. Stay tuned for next Thursday when I will post photos of Amanda's goth phase from high no! school. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh my God. That should it's be Patreon happy. content. We're making that Patreon oh content. Okay. Our fan picker. Speaking of like my lost youth though, by the way, I just have to let everyone know that I am so thoroughly out of shape that two days ago I went bowling and today I am limping. <laughs> <laughs> From bowling. <laughs> I'm in so much pain, you guys. I can, like, barely walk. Oh, my gosh. Just oh my on the God. note so of your goth phase in high school, I'm looking at a picture of you right now wearing, like, a very long mesh black duster over I jeans and, like, a sweater yes. belt. Oh, my God. I you wore that, that all the time. And, like, <laughs> yeah, platform, she did. <laughs> platform Mary <Sandals>. James. <laughs> yes. I did not realize how I had short you were until high school. Because yeah, I, you wore I am such not tall. shoes in middle school. I, such yeah. shoes. <laughs> okay. Our fan picker this week who chose this amazing topic is Brandy Belchick. So thank yes, you, Brandy. Brandy. Get it. You're Get a it. fine girl, Brandy. Yes. What Ready, a fine it? wife. 
you would be. Um, or no one's wife. Or no one's wife. Fuck the patriarchy. No offense. Congratulations on your weddings. Already you drunk. Uh, Amanda, what's our wine crime pairing for fucking vampire serial killers? Well, Brandy knocked it out of the park this week with Vampire Winery's Dracula Merlot. (laughs) Y'all, I cannot. Did Brandy invent this wine for this episode? (laughs) I have questions, Brandy, because how could you have found something so perfect? I love it. This is a wine out of Paso Robles, California. It is 100% Merlot, baby. Yes, love it. Yeah, so Canyon is like ready for it. On board. (laughs) Merlot is an early maturing grape variety and can ripen fully even in cooler climates, which makes it great for Paso Robles. Like it's those cool breezes. Plum and black cherry are among the most common fruit-based descriptors used for Merlots, though it is often used for producing wines of a particular texture, which we've talked about before, rather than a particular taste, mm-hmm. because it has such a standout Merlot, like classic velvety mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. It's almost e- easier to identify it by its texture than by its flavor profile, since that can vary so much. Cool. It's smooth and rounded and easy drinking. The main reason for this is that Merlot grapes are relatively large in relation to their pips, which is wine slang for seeds. (laughs) So So Gladys Knight and the pips, you could say she's the grape and they're the seeds. Oh, isn't that cute? Yes. Um, It's also relatively large in relation to the thickness of their skins. So the large grapes usually have thicker skins, but for Merlot, they're a little thinner. And tannins are found in the skins, and Merlots are not as tannic. Mm. I think I'm relatively large in relation to thickness of skins. Your grape, we could take a BuzzFeed (laughs) quiz on which grape varietal you are, and you'd probably be Merlot. I'd be the thinnest skinned grape (laughs) around. I'm a cancer. But because, because of these details, the variety is often used to soften wines made from more tannic varieties. So you see Merlot blended with a lot of Cabernets, Tanats, Malbecs, because those varieties are a lot more tannic, and Merlot tends to chill them out a little bit. This particular bottle is a little fruity with notes of dark cherry and a hint of smoke, Ooh. dark fruits, plum. Mm, I got to get a um, bottle this bottle's, of this. Yeah, for real. This bottle's great because it retails at about 10 bucks, and it's actually got really wonderful reviews online. This is a stand-up Merlot. It's very easy drinking. It pairs with a lot of great food, so you could easily bring this to a dinner party and, like, have a conversation starter and look really cool, but also be bringing a great quality bottle of wine without breaking the bank. Mm, I love it. It's a popper, so you're going to want to go to our store, wineandcrimepodcast.bigcartel.com, and get yourself a nice pop wine key. Mm-hmm. To get these poppers open. Our new wine keys, I dare to say, are better than our first iteration of wine keys. Ooh, I they're them. hefty. Just, they're yeah, nice. We get better with age. Yeah. We get better with age. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we? Let's do it. And. Oh. Ooh, that nice. Is a spooky. Bloody pop. pop. Vampiric spooky pop. pop. Mmm, Nosferat pop. 
I don't know. I don't know. Also, Dracula Dead and Loving It was like my favorite movie as a kid. And then I watched it what? as like an adult. We used to watch it at sleepovers. It was so the good. Time. Yes. What? And then is wrong I rewatched it and was like, oh my God, this is inappropriate, but still funny. Oh my God, this holds up. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Leslie? Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Yeah. You know what other movie that I haven't thought about in approximately 25 years that's not really appropriate either is Clifford (laughs) with Martin Short. Have not watched it I don't think I've seen it. (laughs) It's good. I think I like it better as an adult. Is it better than Jungle to Jungle? No, no, no. (laughs) Nothing is better than Jungle to Jungle. I saw a post on Reddit last night that just like... Last night, the temperatures got down way into the negatives, and somebody had just put an old tube television with a VHS player on Lindale Avenue no. and was just playing Mrs. Doubtfire on a loop for no one <laughs> <laughs> in Minneapolis last night. I was like, this is why I love this city. So the post was like, if anyone's interested, there's a free viewing of Mrs. Doubtfire on Lindale, and it just showed this picture. <laughs> Of the shitty old TV on an empty street in Uptown. This is why it's I miss One night living when in Minnesota. nobody is out. <laughs> Minnesota's so fucking weird, it's you guys. so weird. Everybody <laughs> moved there. Okay. Lucy. I am dying <laughs> to know. Oh, our, I'm bleeding to know. Our uh, background in psych for vampire serial killers. Okay. Just give us the entire plot structure of all four Twilight books, mm-hmm. and I will be good to go. Why I will was not be Edward's referencing Twilight? So sparkly. That was a thing. Please tell me you're going to cover this. I'm not. I'm fucking. Okay. Well, not. then I will <laughs> listen. I'll take over your segment. You just take a nap. Here we go. Okay. Scene one. <laughs> Bella. Bella. <laughs> Oh, my God. She's from Arizona. (laughs) She's very misunderstood. She's quiet. She's from Arizona, yet already pale. (laughs) I can relate to that, though. Okay. Oh, I have a friend from Arizona who's real pale, too. Hi, Katie. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Katie, your abalone skin is beautiful. Okay. She, too, sparkled in the sunlight. Okay. Vampires are creepy people, animals, or other beings from folklore who feed off of the vital forces of the living. Mm. In Europe, they are undead humans. So me. What? <laughs> so me as a person. Yeah, right, right, right. A creepy person who feed off of that the vital forces the of vital the living. vital life sources. <laughs> In Europe, they are undead humans who kill or cause mischief with the living. Mm. Prior to the 19th century, they were dark and bloated beings before they became <laughs> pale and gaunt. Oh. <laughs> I've been both. Yeah. Pale. I feel personally fucking attacked by this second. Pale and gaunt, dark and bloated. What about pale and bloated? No. I got one yeah. in each column. I'm going to read. We will come back to why they were dark and bloated before they were pale and gaunt. Okay. Okay. Oddly enough. Um, So this pale and gaunt image began in 1819 with John Polidori's book, The Vampire, and that is vampire with a Y. Mm. Mm, Vampire. The good spelling. The ye old spelling. Yes. And 
and Bram Stoker's Dracula really prompted the vamp or sorry promoted the vampire as part as a part of the horror genre mm-hmm. and that one came about mm, 80 years later mm, the Bram Stoker it. one Get it, Brom. There are lots of variations in vampires across cultures, which some believe was due to the pre-industrial people, to pre-industrial people trying to understand the body's process of decomposition. So if we're thinking about that dark and bloated vampire, mm. uh, part of the de- decomposition process is the dark, you know, the darkening of the skin and the bloating. So yeah, just I never thought about that as part of vampire lore too, because in a lot of those stories, it takes like three days for the vampire to transform. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that would make sense with following like how people change when they're decomposing. Yeah. Right. So obviously, this aspect of vampire lore uh, piqued my interest a lot more than almost every other aspect. So I'm going to go into it right now. Okay, because <laughs> okay. the other kind is like so popular in pop culture now that we kind of all get it. I mean, yeah, everyone knows what the fuck a vampire is, so I'm not going to cover really that, but this is why, this is how the image of a vampire, especially as a dark and bloated being, kind of came to fruition. Okay. Um, Also just noting that the whole blood-sucking deal was mainly from these later fictitious vampires as opposed to older folklore. So the the blood-sucking is more um, the gaunt, pale vampire. Okay. Okay. Got it. And that was, again, popularized by literature for the most part. So this is straight from Wikipedia. And again, I donate, so fuck off. But even if you didn't, it wouldn't matter. (laughs) What it's there for. Because you're citing it. I was raised Catholic. I can sleep at night knowing that I gave $15 for the year. Okay. People sometimes suspected vampirism when a cadaver did not look as as they thought a normal corpse should look when the body was disinterred. So if we think about what we've talked before about decomposition, environment is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to really say that a any general body anywhere will decompose in these steps and it will look like this. So how often um, were they disinterring folks? Well, this is just like from all of you know human history. history. Okay. Yeah. Every so, Sunday. Maybe okay. a corpse was discovered. I don't know. Mm. Uh, rates of decomposition vary depending on temperature and soil composition, and many of the signs are are little known. So, like, like I just said, lots of variations depending on humidity, direct sunlight or indirect. You know, animals, plants, whatever. Probably how how deep it's buried will affect the temperature, that kind of stuff. Yeah, whether it's buried. Mm. Um, this has led vampire hunters to mistakenly conclude that a dead body had not decomposed at all, or ironically to interpret signs of decomposition as signs of continued life. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Corpses make sense. Corpses swell as gases from decomposition accumulate in the torso, and the increased pressure forces blood to ooze from the nose and mouth. This causes the body to look plump, well-fed, Ooh. and ruddy. So again, bloated and dark. Oh, like Changes. you just got off a snowmobile. Yeah. And, like, ate a bunch, drank a bunch of beer. Make him look like he just came in from snowmobiling, you know, pink cheeks, (laughs) red nose. (laughs) 
Uh, Took it right between the eyes. You don't see that too often. (laughs) Changes that are all the more striking if the person was pale or thin in real life. In one case, an old woman's exhumed corpse was judged by her neighbors to look more plump and healthy than she had ever looked in life. <laughs> That'll be Which me. is really sad for She looks woman. great. Oh She's God. dead. Well, never looked better. <laughs> she must be using beauty by design. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She got her winter box. Okay. (laughs) The exuding blood gave the impression that the corpse had recently been engaging in vampiric activity. Darkening of the skin is also caused by decomposition. The staking of this was my favorite part. The staking of the of a swollen, decomposing body could cause the body to bleed. So staking meaning like, you know, stabbing it with a stake. Right. Even though dead bodies don't really bleed, but if you jab it with a stake, it might. Well push it around enough, you might get something. mm. Right. Bleed bleeding blood, maybe not bleeding in the way that we think of bleeding, but at least like letting fluids come out. Absolutely. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and also force the accumulated gases to escape from the body. This could produce a groan-like sound yeah. when the gases move past the vocal cords <laughs> or a sound reminiscent of flatulence when they pass through the <laughs> anus. That would be me. <laughs> Woo. Yep. Do not go in there. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. The official reporting on another case speaks of, quote, other wild signs which I pass by out of high respect. <laughs> um, what? I'm going to go so with the official eruption. De- the official death, well, yeah, we'll never know. The official, like, death report, the, the doctor was like, I'm not even going to describe what shit, happened. but I cannot <laughs> my, even. My money's on an erection. It's wild. <laughs> right. Right. After death, the skin and gums lose fluids and contract, exposing the roots of the hair, nails, and teeth, even teeth that were concealed in the jaw. Like, so if your oh. wisdom teeth never came down... Your gums erode away as you decompose, so you can see those teeth. And it probably makes your teeth look bigger. This is why we need science, because (laughs) before we understood decomposition, people were like, vampire. She's a vampire. (laughs) Obviously. There's ghosts in your blood. Do cocaine about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this can produce the illusion that the hair, nails, and teeth have grown. So Mm. vampire fangs, presumably. Vampires in, you know, folklore and literature have very long nails, and they have very voluminous hair. So who knows? They do have great hair. Okay. Mm -hmm. I never thought about any of this. This is so fascinating. At a certain stage, the nails fall off and the skin peels away, as reported in um, the case that the coroner wouldn't... (laughs) Really accurately report. The wild ass case. The boner went down. <laughs> the dermis eventually. and the nail beds emerging underneath were interpreted as new skin and new nails. So they saw this as and some nope. sort of re-emerging, yeah, signs of growth, signs of vitality. I'm gonna need the to die the to fix my nails that have been so destroyed by gel polish. <laughs> what? Like that's like oh my, my only hope now is to die and expose my nail bed so my nails look longer because they are. My ruined. only hope is Lee press ons. Because <laughs> you can't which even I'm do, painstakingly you can't even peeling take fish off oil. right now. 
I can't. Oh, honey. Nope. I know. Fucked. My nails are real fucked, y'all. Okay. Okay. So, some afflictions associated with vampirism are the bubonic plague, when the breakdown of lung tissue causes expirations, expirational blood on the lips. So, remember, we were talking about blood spatter. One mm. type of spatter is if there's an injury to the lungs and you're exhaling, and it's yeah. like very, oh, right. a very fine mist. It's like a it, mist. And it yeah. can appear on your lips. Yes. Sexy. So, so bloody blood on your lips was a, a side effect of having the bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. So. Yuck, my God. It's if it wasn't bad enough. <laughs> I know. And the plague, <laughs> to make it a little worse, is a pretty serious contagion. So like all contagions, um, it causes clusters of possibly unexplained deaths. So people think that there's one entity causing a bunch of deaths in the same area because they didn't get germs. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. science people. Mm-hmm. Um, something called porphyria, which is... Um, it's a rare blood disorder, and a link was proposed in 1985 by biochemist, Amanda, you're going to love his name, David Dolphin. <laughs> Spelled D-O-L-P-H-I-N, Dolphin. Fucking boo. <laughs> Um, so he proposed a link between this rare blood disorder and a possible craving for live human blood. Mm-hmm. Um, this theory was pretty much has pretty much been debunked. But isn't so, it? Yeah, is, fuck you, dolphin. But don't they crave like the iron in the blood or something? Like they do um, actually crave blood. I think so. There's an element of blood which is called I think it's pronounced heme. It's H A E M heme. Which like, also comes like hemophilia, hemoglobin, mm. hemoglobin. Um, so, uh, my understanding is, if you have this porphyria, then you you have you're lacking that heme in your blood. So, some part of your brain wants to absorb a lot of it so that it can pass from your stomach into your bloodstream. Mm. I didn't really go down to, I didn't dig too deeply into this because the first thing I read was that it was been pretty much debunked. So I was like, okay, whatever. But there, there is this proposed link that people are lacking some minerals in their blood. So they're craving blood. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And specifically human blood, which, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Um, Also rabies can cause sensitivity to light. And um, sensitivity to strong tastes and smells such as garlic. Oh. Um, They go into this a little bit on the podcast, um, This Podcast Will Kill You, in their first season. They have a rabies episode, and it's pretty rad, and they talk about the vampire connections. A little bit in the episode of The Office where Michael Scott hits Meredith with his car. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, when there's a bat in the office. No, she gets rabies from that episode, but she discovers she has rabies after almost being killed by Michael, and they find out she has rabies. So really, he saved her life by hitting her with his car. And then Dwight turns off her monitor because he's like, you could power a small fan for 10 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Waste of resources. (laughs) Okay. Um, So most of... um, what am I saying? Most of these vampires, like from folklore, have been widely assumed to be fictitious, but some, like the chupacabra, mm. is a, technically a form of a vampire, um, still persist. 
There's also vampire Ooh. bats, which I kind of thought were just named after that because they drink, like, animal blood, but turns out they can also feed off of human blood, and they leave two tiny little puncture marks, oh. like a vampire. So vampire yes. bats actually are kind of really, really kind of creepy. Oh, yes. Love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On a psychodynamic level, modern vampires are associated with the fear of death, because the vampire being undead, mm-hmm. um, anxieties and guilt associated with death, cannibalism, sadism, and sex, for obvious reasons. Also, many legends go beyond sucking blood, if you catch my drift. Vampires oh my God, can wieners? get it. They've always been a sex symbol, y'all. Yeah, but they're kind of mm-hmm. rapey. Like, they creep into a lady's chambers at night, and he, like, lays on her, and then she screams, and he, like, bites her, and she's, like, into submission. It's, like, really Girl, icky. I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> if it's consensual, I'm saying, great. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm giving blanket consent for a vampire to sneak into my room. <laughs> Not any of the ones we're about to talk about, let me tell you. Absolutely not. <laughs> one of the hot ones. One of the hot, glittery ones. Oh, God. <laughs> That's going to make me hot and glittery and live forever. Right. If you don't glitter Off in the sunlight, blood. you're and not on my list. to the ugliest Move baby along. ever. <laughs> I thought the werewolf was way hotter than the vampire Ew. in those movies, honestly. No. Uh-uh. I didn't like the vampires. I didn't like them. I like them all. I also didn't see any of the movies or read any of the books because I'm 31 years old. I saw the movies in what is theaters your age with has Zach. to do with it? Same. <laughs> not with Zach, but saw them all in theaters. And I read all the books. I did not oh read God. the books. We're all stages. Okay, moving on. Okay. People who self-identify as vampires think that they must feed on the energies of other people, either physically or psychically. And here are some of the ways the vampires do that. Some will literally drink blood from consenting human donors, and this is called sanguinarian feeding. Not to be confused with blood fetishism. So there's there's a difference. And here's that word again. Hematomania, hematomania, is the craving to drink blood. So that is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Weird. But it should not be confused with blood fetishism. I get the blood the blood sex stuff way more than I get the craving to drink it stuff. I do not get... Like, I could see myself in... A, I don't like the way the, that blood feels. Like, it's sticky, kind of. It's got kind of a ketchup leftover on you kind of clinginess. I'm not here for that either. You guys. Because I hate ketchup. But I'm just saying, I could see myself in the throes of passion being like, bleed on me! But I would never want to eat it. Okay, quick blood anecdote. Oh my god. (laughs) I feel like this is appropriate because we do have an advertisement for this in this episode. So, for modern fertility requires a blood test to to do their tests and it like has mm-hmm. very very well lined you know mapped out instructions for how to use the lancet and get some blood and drop it on the card and whatever and so i did this the other night but i was also watching real housewives of beverly hills Duh. so i was i pricked my finger and i was holding my finger over the card and i was kind of like massaging my finger getting the blood out and i was kind of like watching the tv and not really paying attention because it was taking a while so i thought you know like i have a a few seconds to look away from this (laughs) 
once it you don't. started going, I, I looked down and I had soaked this card in blood. Oh, yeah. It as a diabetic going. who has to check their blood sugar several times a day, we, as type 1 diabetics, often go a really long time without changing out that Lancet, and then you put in the new one, and you're used to, like, having to shove that Lancet so deep, and then you use a fresh one, and you're like, well, I'm bleeding out now. I'm dying oh my from my pinky. It's, like, oh gushing. God. It's like, oh, shit, I forgot that a sharp Lancet yeah. is actually going to be functional. A lot of blood. A lot of blood on that card. So apologies yeah. to the technician at Modern Fertility who's going to get this. I'm fine. Maybe I'm fine. Maybe have Don't hematomania. Need... Don't need to do a welfare check. <laughs> I'm doing a welfare check. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. 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 So um, some other ways that vampires, you know, feed off of the energies of other people. They can drink animal blood, but that's widely recognized as a substitution for human blood. Yeah. They can eat like being a vegetarian in the vampire world. Well the next one is they can eat rare steaks. Gross. Okay. (laughs) I have had a blue steak though and it was delicious. And I'm more of Um, a meat. I want my red meat I want my red meat like still bleeding. That's how rare I love my meat. If it's a really good steak, I like it on the rare side. Yeah. Hell yes. Um, Mooing, baby. They can have sexual or erotic encounters, and this is called tantric feeding. Okay. They can feed off of physical fetishism. Huh? Here for it. Did not need to know. They can feed off of the (laughs) off of physical contact with another person. They can hang out in a crowded room and just kind of feed off of energies of people without actually touching them. The antisocial person in the corner of the party is actually a vampire (laughs) sucking out your life force. (laughs) Just leave them be. They're just eating. They're just hungry. It's a snack. He needed a snack. Um, they can feed off of emotion, and then they can also do long-distance feeding, which is called astral feeding. Sure. And I googled astral feeding. <laughs> there's there's a lot of websites. If you are curious about any of these, that's where you fucking love. Google it. Sure. <laughs> that's where it's like, oh fuck you. Just long-distance feeding. Okay. Shut up. While the idea of sucking someone's blood is inherently predatory, modern vampires adhere to safe and ethical feeding standards. There are Boo. there are many regional vampire chapters with sets of guidelines for general health for themselves, animal welfare if they're feeding off of animals, and also the well-being of their donors, like their human donors. When it comes to sanguinarian feedings, they typically use a sterilized scalpel on a fleshy, non-scarring area of the body. Turns out your stomach and your abdomen are among the least scar scarific areas of your body. Oh. That's according to hmm. scars.com. <laughs> Findlaw.com. <laughs> org. Well, I was like, what the fuck is a non-scarring area of the body? Yeah. But different types of skin scar differently than well, I guess all over your body. the stomach has to stretch a lot more than other areas for, for mm-hmm. a lot of bodies. Yeah. Donors are often required to submit health certificates to make sure that they don't have any, like, bloodborne pathogens mm-hmm. or, like, HIV or anything. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. Most are good. Most vampires are good with a few teaspoons every week since it's really just a supplement and not like their entire diet. They still eat like people. They still eat. Um, they eat people. They still or they eat, eat like, like people. people. They're still humans. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any modern vampires have the illusion that they're immortal. I, mean, uh, I bet a knows? lot of them do. Special, especially the astral feeders, but they still have to eat. Okay, we're going to go into some sensitive topics as far as the self-identification as a vampire, so we'll let you come to your own conclusions. So, so we should, we should stop vampire shaming is what you're saying. Essentially. We're going to get an email. We're going to get an email. Yeah. Which, like, I encourage if anyone out there listening does identify as a vampire and wants to talk about it. Let's I got let questions. me finish my segment before you fucking say anything else. <laughs> I'm still opening that Pandora's box. Okay. It's open. Many modern vampires wear fangs and hang out mainly at night, so that's a thing. Their self-described nature begins to manifest around puberty when they claim to suffer from a lack of subtle energies that the rest of us take for granted. Like puberty. Fucking a lot of weird shit happens in puberty. Just yes. Then. Mm-hmm. They live all over the world, sometimes in vampire houses, where there is an elder vampire who helps new vampires acclimate. Many houses take up humanitarian efforts like organizing charity events, which I thought was really nice. Not, <laughs> I think not it's kind exclusively of an blood drives, because that's not very altruistic. No. <laughs> the article that I read was like, these, lore in blood. these events can range from feeding the homeless, not feeding off of the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> also, oh no Lord. garlic in those meals for the homeless. Just saying. Most of them don't report an aversion to garlic. Oh, okay. Good to know. I did read that, too. Um, So humanitarian efforts. There doesn't appear to be a predominant age, gender, socioeconomic status, or sexual orientation within the community. It can be, like, their communities are very diverse. They're they're everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all of them dress goth like Amanda. Some call (laughs) these people who dress goth super gothy and claim that they're vampires. They call them posers, lifestylers, or fashion vampires, <laughs> which I like. Okay. <laughs> All right. And some of them do sleep in actual coffins, but for the most part, these real vampires don't seem to be drinking actual blood as an appropriative counterculture statement. Like, it's... If you're claiming that you are a real modern vampire and you're doing... you You are claiming to fit in with these communities that I'm describing, you're not just doing it as like a fuck you to modern society. Like these people genuinely feel this is how they are. This is what they need to flourish and get their energy. And that's just how they live and whatever you do. You look, if there's, hey, consent, if it's not hurting anybody, yeah, yeah, get after it. Yeah. Um, I don't, that doesn't mean I understand it, but I'm not against it by any means. People live in all kinds of interesting ways. Yeah. So they seem to benefit from this lifestyle in terms of community and self-empowerment primarily. Um, this part was, <laughs> I liked this part. Dr. DJ Williams and Emily Pryor of Idaho State University published a questionnaire in 2015 seeking insight from modern vampires. And these two people have, there were a lot of articles that referenced the work that these two have been doing. They've, they've studied these modern vampires pretty extensively, and they come up with some really interesting things. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Dr. Williams published their responses as a poem, 
which I will recite to you now. All right, DJ. Thank God. (laughs) Would I be comfortable disclosing my vampire identity? No, I would never do that. It would detract from real issues for which I was seeking treatment. I have no desire to be classified as delusional, immature, or a threat to public safety. Social workers, psychologists, and counselors should listen and be open. They need to know more about spiritual things and not immediately jump to treating a disorder. For us, vampirism is normal. That poem was, in my opinion, a buzzkill. Tough shit. (laughs) May I continue? So I also read an article about how therapists and counselors should respond to someone who claims to be a vampire in a clinical setting. A study was conducted on this a few years ago, and the authors of the study point to two factors exhibited by mental health professionals that can make vampires hesitant to expose their self-professed identities as vampires. Um, Mm -hmm. The first factor is that vampires aren't real. Mm -hmm. Yes. Little fly in the ointment. Right. Um, The second (laughs) is that identifying as a vampire is indicative of a deeper mental health issue. Mm -hmm. So two completely reasonable responses to somebody coming into your office and saying, I'm a vampire. Okay. Psychologically, to the vampire, it doesn't matter that vampires aren't real. They genuinely feel that they're born into this identity, that they can't help it, that they did not choose to be a vamp. They, oh, they didn't choose the vampire life. The vampire life chose them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And in a way, it's kind of like sexual orientation, which some might find a disrespectful comparison. But tolerance and diversity of beliefs demands an element of consideration of what some might find ridiculous in the context of their own lives. Okay. I feel like we're being scolded. Well, I did tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I mean, I totally get it because if, if this is, if this ident- self-identification and someone truly feeling that they identify as this thing is so crazy and scoffed at, I think that it could be a slippery slope to also equate that equate that to trans people, and that's really not okay. Absolutely. So I do I do see where that's where that's coming from. If this is actually the same, if you want to call it the same or see it in the same way, then someone who is born into a you know male body but actually identifies as female is not. That's not a. That's not a crazy person, in my opinion. And it's got nothing to do with you or me. It's not hurting anybody. It's just how they're living their lives. So, like, who the fuck mm-hmm. cares, honestly? Right. But there so, are there are folks like the people that we are about to talk about. 100% who are actually mentally ill and right. are dangerous to society. Right. who hurt people. Anyone, yeah, but the, anyone can do whatever is, they want if they don't their hurt Their crime people. is hurting people. It's not believing that they're vampires. Right, right. So these next few lines are um, taken from this article, (coughs) but I didn't feel like I could really 
revise it in a more succinct way. So I'm just going to read it. Um, quote, the reason it is hard is because we lack a coherent objective framework that builds on an amalgamation of historical, cultural, philosophical, artistic, and scientific accounts of what it means to be a human being and what it is to live in the in human community. Instead, society determines legitimate forms of self-determination or identity on the basis of consensus. If sufficient numbers of people demand recognition, they are rewarded it they are rewarded that recognition. But until then, they won't be treated legitimately. People have the right to be bigots depending on who they're being bigoted toward. In some sense, vampirism reveals the difficulties of human self-definition in a time of tolerance. Few are prepared to accept vampirism as an authentic mode of being, but having done away with most traditions of objective value, it's hard to mount a sustained critique of the pseudo-undead. So I thought that was kind of a good way to describe it. And the article goes on to discuss how ineffective therapy can be without openness and non-judgment and the formation of what they call therapeutic alliance, which is just a trusting relationship between client and therapist. This is based on the belief that clients do not need fixing, but rather help developing those skills to manage a range of environmental, personal, and psychological factors. The therapist's role is not to question or correct someone's sense of identity unless it's harming themselves or others, like we were just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, this article talks about these self-identified vampires as an effect of unstable educational and intellectual systems, perhaps a lack of formative education and critical thinking skills. It suggests that it is important to recognize people's journeys of self-discovery and also recognize the fact or the idea that they might benefit from some guidance from others, especially as a young person, you know, on some level, distinguishing fact, fact from fiction. They also might be unknowingly mm. harming themselves by consuming especially human blood. I know that they screen for certain things, but they might not be able to screen yeah, for everything. it's like everything. drinking your own urine. It's like after a while, after like three times, that shit's going to make you sick. Well, there's also that, um, what was that community and like, oh, I want to say it was like, Papua New Guinea or something where they yes. had a tradition of eating the br- the brains of their yeah, dead, and they get like of the dead and it caused some major cognitive yeah, issues but they get that like wasn't the blood disease that wasn't That's from what it the was, blood disease Mm-mm. I mean e- eating blood whether it's from animals I don't know about a human eating human blood but at least animal you know animal blood that's really popular in quite a few countries and has been for do we know, you know it forever. wasn't from the blood I don't know that we know that. I don't know if we know if it was from the flesh or the blood. I'm 99% sure. I think it is because it was specifically from eating the brain. Yeah. Because it's not the meat. It was something to do with, yeah, it has to do with the brain, Mm. which is like, has a different, I don't know. It wasn't the blood. You're right. Something with specifically the brain. Yeah. (laughs) But that's not to say that there isn't the potential of some bizarro, nasty disease you can get from drinking human blood. I mean... Well, at this point, there have been... This has been happening for quite a while. I think that there would be... In the research that I did about vampire modern vampires eating human blood in the several hours that I researched this, nothing came up about health issues or complications mm-hmm. from consuming human blood. So These folks I don't are think- also consuming fresh blood... My dude 
was consuming not as fresh blood, which maybe could have an impact. Like jello, like congealed. Eh, we'll get to it. Oh my god, amazing! Well, that's my segment, so let's get to it. <laughs> All right, but first, <laughs> I'm not a word ready. from our sponsor. Have you ever had the luxury of having a mental health professional in your pocket? <sighs> luxury. Non-rhetorical question, guys. Have you? Yes. Because yes. I use Talkspace. <laughs> Why, yes. Um, well, that's great because life can be stressful between work, family, podcasting, everything in between. It is not always easy to find time for yourself. And you have to treat yourself. One of the best ways to do that is to treat your mental health with Talkspace. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And why not use something that is convenient and easy to use? With Talkspace, you no longer have to wait for your next appointment to talk about what's on your mind. With Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your device, from anywhere, at any time of the day. I think this is my favorite thing about the service because I have an awesome therapist. Her name is Emily, and I will write to her if I wake up from a nightmare at three in the morning, knowing full well that she's not in her office and going to respond to me in real time, but that when she gets into her office around 9 a.m., she's going to check those messages, and it'll all be cataloged there. All of her responses are saved. All of our conversations are saved. I love that convenience. Um, If you're having a tough time, and I did this when uh, someone and I were breaking up, you can always schedule a live video session with your therapist for extra support. This was awesome. Just be able to connect to her and see her face and have her like gauge my reactions to what she was telling me was a hugely beneficial help. Usually I can just text and that's fine. Sometimes I'll give her a call. Um, but having that option of the live video session has been really super, super helpful. And this service is affordable. One month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same as a single face-to-face session. I know this firsthand. I have done therapy many times throughout my life, both with and without insurance. And Talkspace has been such an awesome, consistently affordable gateway for me to access therapy. Mm-hmm. Best of all, you'll never have to wait a week, like we said, to share what's on your mind. You can open that app and share anything, anytime, from anywhere. Yes, 100%. Talkspace has more than 3,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing the challenges that we all face, all of us. Mm-hmm. To match with your perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com forward slash gals and make sure to use that code gals to get 45 bucks off your first month and show your support for this show. So again, Talkspace.com forward slash gals, use that promo code gals, get 45 bucks off your first month. Treat Treat your your brain. Treat it. So think of all the things that you could be doing if you were not constantly running to the grocery store because, I don't know, your husband ate all of the ham in one sitting. (laughs) He does that. Just an idea. (laughs) Not, Not personal experience at all. No, I have no idea where that came from. But actually, I had to go to the grocery store five separate times in the last week, and it was starting to drive me a little nuts. Well, there's something you could give a try. And that what is it? would be Instacart. Ooh. Um, here are some of the benefits of Instacart, because it's truly amazing. Groceries can be delivered to your home in as little as one hour or at a time that works with your schedule. They Love have it. exclusive coupons. You can save money with coupons on pantry staples. Why pay more? There's no reason. <laughs> it's 
available at your favorite stores. There are groceries delivered from both local and national retailers. So if you have like a certain store in your neighborhood that you really like, chances are Instacart works with them. And there are other perks. No sitting in traffic. No looking for parking. No being like crammed in in the parking lot waiting for somebody else to back out and screaming silently at your steering wheel. Um... Or waiting in the checkout line. So it's amazing. Behind the one lady who still writes checks. <laughs> I always get caught behind the lady who still writes checks. Every time. Absolutely. Yes. It's the worst. Absolutely. So um, I've used Instacart and uh, my stuff was delivered in under an hour. And I ordered uh, a lot of like cold medicine stuff from CVS. Mm. And it made me realize mm-hmm. like... If you're home sick on the couch in bed, oh God. this is yes. the perfect solution. You just order really all is. your stuff. Get those tissues with the lotion in them. Treat yourself. And somebody yeah, will... and get some soup and some, yeah, like all of that, like a care package delivered to yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Curate your own care package and have it be delivered in as little as one hour. I mean, come on. Love it. That's brilliant. And here is how it works. You get to choose between getting the app or just simply going to instacart.com. You shop the groceries that you need from your lo- your favorite local retailers. Instacart does the shopping. So your shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce and contacting you if necessary, like if they have questions or if something's not available. And then Instacart delivers. The groceries arrive in as little as an hour or at a time that you select. We keep the items hot. So like Instacart makes sure that hot items items are remaining hot and that cold items are remaining cold. You literally can't even do that in your own car getting home. Yeah. It's like that's amazing. The best. I had a Haagen-Dazs uh, casualty myself yesterday. I was kind of upset. Well, use Instacart. If you would next use time. Instacart, that wouldn't have happened. I know. Yeah. I got to get on board, and I'm about get to. Get on board. Love it. <laughs> so, you and I both can try Instacart and get 10 bucks off of our first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download that mobile app and enter the promo code GALS, that's G A L S, at checkout. That'll get you 10 bucks off your first order today on either the app or at instacart.com. And again, don't forget that promo code GALS, 10 bucks off mobile app do it treat yo free time oh treat it so my case i will be covering the vampire of paris (laughs) (laughs) and buckle up because this dude is bananas Um, you remember our requirement on french french pronunciations though right uh, i'm gonna do them up actually there aren't that many in in the case. Minnesotan accent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not committing to that. And this dude was not just a vampire. He's the full package. Vampire, cannibal, and necrophile. Ooh, that is the whole package. Uh, triple threat. Fucking trifecta. And you voice of an angel. Um singer, dancer, actor, <laughs> vampire, cannibal, necrophile. <laughs> Here we go. Quintuple threat. <laughs> so Nicola Nico Clo. Let's go immediately to see some photos because this dude is a PSA for 
not over plucking your eyebrows. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I dated him in middle school. <laughs> you did. You did. You did. Yes. You oh, did. Oh no, Nico Clone. <laughs> oh, Nico, no. Nico Clone, no, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> he was born on March 22nd, 1972, in the former French colony of Cameroon. His uh, father was a French citizen, and the family moved abroad for work a lot. Um, when Nico was five, they moved to London, then to Paris when he was seven, then to Lisbon when he was 12, and then finally back to Paris when he was 16. And I'm not fucking jealous. You're jealous. I was just going to ask how mad you are that this was not your childhood. <laughs> oh, my God. How many passports did he have? Right? Ugh, I want to go to Lisbon. Okay. Nico was an only child and described his childhood as lonely, despite being basically normal. Basically normal. Okay. Quote, while my parents were very kind and gave me everything that I needed, I never really felt a strong bond between us. They never hugged me or kissed me. They just let me be on my own most of the time. Eventually, I grew emotionally cold. I had difficulties feeling empathy for other people, just indifference most of the time. This is why you hug your kids. Yeah. <laughs> Hold your babies. You can't spoil a baby. Oh, my God. Um, young Nico also had a fascination for death and the occult. He's, it's, we're basically describing me as a child, except I, I know, was hugged I was a lot. Say, I was I hugged a lot. really hard with this <laughs> yeah. yeah. Including the overplugging. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Although I needed to because I was born with, like... I don't even know what eyebrows. Caterpillar Your eyebrows. eyebrows. When we were growing up were so good. They were so thick. <laughs> you trimmed them with scissors because your mom wouldn't let you have tweezers. They got tweezers. really long. They were ridiculously huge. And then my godmother snuck me out of the house once and took me to get my eyebrows uh, waxed into a shape. <laughs> Thank God for Chris. Thank you, Chris. Bless you, Chris. <laughs> um, Okay, now I don't even, now I like barely tweeze them and they're just the shape they are. So I don't even know what happened. You trained them. Okay. You trained them. That apparently happens when you get older as they stop growing in as much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hair loss is what it's yeah. called. <laughs> Lucy oh, says no, it's bitterly. different, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so young Nico uh, devoured books about vampires and werewolves before it was cool. Devoured books. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a photo of a statue of the Sumerian demon Pazuzu. Ooh. Uh, I mean, same, though. Yeah. You do you, Pazuzu. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Sumerian demon. Um, <laughs> so this Pazuzu you might have heard of because it was also featured in The Exorcist. And, um, yup. Yeah, a few other, like, 70s horror movies. Um, Pazuzu was Pazuzu, the... so hot right now. <laughs> Quick Pazuzu <laughs> sidebar. Uh, Quick <laughs> Pazuzu anecdote. <laughs> Pazuzu uh, was an evil spirit uh, and not a Nissan car type. Um, and it was known <laughs> for bringing famine, locusts, and harm to new mothers. Only Pazuzu LX. Pazuzu. <laughs> it's all wheel Fully drive. Fully equipped Pazuzu Isuzu. 
so fucking stupid. <laughs> so no other children shared Nico's interests, so he didn't have a best friends club to play immortals with on the playground like oh Lucy God, and I sad. did. Yeah. Think of how y'all could have turned out <laughs> oh if you hadn't found each other. No, really. Like, we I used to pretend had... that picnic no, tables were I'm coffins and sleep in them. I would have had negative I'm, friends if it weren't for you would, Scott and Kenyon in third grade. You'd all be in jail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, uh, yeah. Big time. So Nico <laughs> grew up withdrawn and without friends and without a podcast in his later years. Um <laughs> So in the early 90s, as a young adult, Nico spent most of his free time in Paris's gothic graveyards. Oh, my God. This is our childhood, just in Excelsior and not in Paris. Yeah. His favorite mausoleums were to be found in the famous cemetery Père Lachaise. Um, which is actually a big tourist destination, and a lot of famous people are buried there, including Moliere, Balzac, Proust, Chopin, Oscar Wilde, Gertrude Stein, Edith Piaf, Marcel Marceau, and Jim Morrison. I was going to say. JM. I actually have never been to Paris. I'm just kind of embarrassed. Um, Okay, some other fave cemeteries of Nico's included uh, Montmartre and Passy. Pussy? There it is. I literally have in my notes, cue pussy jokes. (laughs) I didn't do it. I didn't see it. It wasn't me. (laughs) Okay, Nico began uh, by simply uh, peeking into mausoleums that had little windows, uh, and some were set up with furniture and paintings and statues. Um, So my apartment, my garden-level apartment. (laughs) Your apartment is a mausoleum. (laughs) It's a mausoleum. Amanda's tomb is going to have those abalone seashells. What are they called? Seahorses. Oh, yeah, my abalone seahorses. They're on the wall. (laughs) Oh, my God. Your apartment is an adorable, cutesy little mausoleum. Okay, you're a unicorn fan. (laughs) I love that thing. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, so he yearned to get even closer. So he began picking the locks on tombs and mausoleums, sometimes using lock-picking tools and sometimes simply cracking those suckers open with a crowbar. Once inside, he says he, quote, felt like an emperor reigning in hell. And that's where you lost me. I was into it until that. Yeah, till breaking in. We definitely tried to. Including the breaking in. Yeah, I would have. I know it's not okay. And maybe now I wouldn't have. But teenage me. Yeah. If I knew how to pick locks. Fuck yeah. Hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We definitely would have done that if we weren't such chicken shits. You know how many times we tried to get into that garden shed that's like (laughs) in the graveyard? I got in it. It's just storage. it was a mausoleum. It's just storage. Yeah, and yeah. there was like it's a couple just shovels. Groundskeeping storage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disappointing. Um, so disappointing. So it didn't take long for Nico's fantasies to overpower him. Oh, God. Quote, I woke up one day feeling this sinister urge to dig up a corpse and mutilate it. Oh. I, okay. Were you on your period? <laughs> Um, (laughs) Were you iron deficient? Uh, I gathered a small crowbar, a pair of pliers, a screwdriver, black candles, and a pair of surgical gloves in a backpack. Then I took the... Just the essentials. (laughs) Then I took the subway until the Trocadero station. It was nearly noon. 
The gates of the Passy Cemetery were wide open. That Passy was wide open. <laughs> and nobody oh was God. inside. Why would you do this at noon? Well, because, quote, the undertakers were out for lunch and nobody could ever imagine that there was somebody robbing graves at noon. The undertakers were out for lunch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's France, so everyone gets a two-hour lunch break. Oh, my God. Amazing. He had a particular mausoleum in mind, and once he'd pried it open, uh, he got inside and opened the coffin and, quote, horrible stench of putrefaction came out of the box. It smelled... Well, yeah. Yeah. It smelled like uh, thanatil, the product that embalmers use on a corpse in order to delay the process of decay. Cool. This is all a quote. Then I saw the body inside. It was a half-rotten old woman shrouded in a white sheet covered with brown stains. Amanda. Her face (laughs) seemed to be... (laughs) It's chocolate. Her face seemed to be smeared with oil, but it was simply the death fluids oozing from her skin. The stench was so intense that I nearly fainted. I tried to lift one side of the sheet, but it was glued to her petrified skin. Oh, my God. I love it. No, this is not okay. The teeth were protruding from the mouth, but her eyes were gone. I stared into the empty eye sockets, and all of a sudden, something broke into my mind. I felt like I was falling into a whirlwind. That's when I picked up a screwdriver. The corpse inside the coffin started to move slightly, like if I had guessed what would happen next. Like if oh. it had guessed what would happen next. So I this began is to the st- coolest recount I've ever heard. <laughs> Just wait, there's so much more. So I began to stab the belly, the rib area, and the shoulders. I stabbed her at least 50 times. I really can't remember. All I can remember is that when I woke up, my forearms were covered with corpse slime. Oh my god. Whoa. So that was corpse slime. Death fluids. Yeah, but like gunk. Just gunk. You'd think it'd be a little bit drier. I don't know. Especially if you've been embalmed, it takes way longer for all that shit to break down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, question about this cemetery then. Mm-hmm. Jim Morrison was buried there, but that was probably the one of the most recent famous ones, right? Uh, some people are still being buried there, but Jim Morrison, I think, is one of the more recent famous ones, yes. So you could still get buried. What are the requirements for being buried in this fucking celebrity cemetery? At this point, probably money. Yeah, it's probably just expensive. I don't know. But I did see that you could still be buried there. Oh, my God. Please mm-hmm. pledge on our Patreon page. But this oh but God. this particular <laughs> case was in a different cemetery, also an older, somewhat famous cemetery, but not Père Lachaise. Oh, okay. I thought the pussy one was the famous one. Okay. No, no, no. Um, but unfortunately, desecrating graves and mutilating corpses doesn't pay the bills. So, oh God. first, Nico joins the military, but it wasn't a good fit. I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) And he left after one year. His dream was to become a mortician. 
Yeah. Oh, much more Heard that. Lucy's fucking dream job. Um, But the only local embalming school rejected his application. Oh, no. But don't worry. Mortuary school dropout. (laughs) Embalming school dropout. School dropout. (laughs) No graduation day for me. Embalming school dropout. Dropout. (laughs) Mr. (laughs) Midterms. that. So, don't worry. He then got a job at a children's hospital. Oh, what? No. In the morgue. No. No. That's way less cool. The morgue of a children's hospital. It's so bleak. It's so awful, this whole case. Okay. Quote, I was given the job of a morgue attendant, and my first contact with a corpse, like a fresh corpse, there was when I assisted the autopsy of a 10-year-old girl. The other attendant showed me how to stitch up her belly, and that was the first time I ever got to touch a fresh corpse. I was amazed by how red and clean her organs were. Well, they rinse them off. Well, also, okay, she see. was, like, recently dead, and his other contact with a corpse was, like, literally someone from 1917. Yeah. Oh, well, that's how Someone who was already was? old when they died and then had been sitting in there forever. Yeah. So you know how old that first corpse was? I read somewhere that it was a grave from 1917. And yet it's still gooey and slimy. The blows yeah. the mind. Embalming. Embalming fluid. is crazy, yeah. Still, like, 100 years, though. It's cray. Mm-hmm. Well, not quite, because this was the 90s. But, yeah, long time. Um, so, over time, he moves up from morgue attendant to assistant mortician. Assistant to the morgue attendant. <laughs> <laughs> Moving up. <laughs> so, uh, this means that he assisted with autopsies. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. <laughs> Made the Y incision on the corpse's torso and then did the stitching up after the autopsy. He also cut the rib joints and opened the skulls with an electric saw. And Ooh. he did the cleaning and prepping of the morgue slabs. All so he was work. He was like in it. <laughs> He's having the time of his fucking life. So I'm jealous. Given so much time left alone with the bodies, Nico was able to indulge even more of his fantasies. Oh, no. Oh, no. Quote, This is when I began eating strips of muscles from the bodies. I always... (laughs) Whoa. That escalated quickly. Some jerky. Oh. I always checked out their medical files first. Doesn't want any defective meat. Safe. Yeah. Safe. I talked with a butcher once who told me that meat is better three or four days after death. (laughs) This was something I had always dreamed of doing, and it was the opportunity to do it on a regular basis. Sometimes good. (laughs) Sometimes I brought select meats home with me to be cooked, but my preference was to eat them raw. It tasted like tartar steak or carpaccio. 
<laughs> oh, Tartar. <laughs> yeah. The, I love Tartar. Why are they ruining it for me right now? <laughs> it's raw big, meat, no matter what. Yeah. It's delicious. I do like Tikkufto, which is basically raw hamburger meat. But um, the big muscles of the thighs and back were good, but there was no good meat in the breasts, only fats. Peep. Heard that before. Yeah. Peep. People often ask me what went through my mind the first time I indulged my cannibalistic fantasy. Well, to be honest, I said to <laughs> myself... People often ask me. He Are you still like, running around? He's done like a ton of interviews, and yes, we will get to it. Okay. Quote, this, is, this was what he thought to himself when he first became a cannibal. Quote, wow, now I'm a cannibal. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Cool. <laughs> Maybe the embalming the school saw his fucking essay and they were like, sorry. Dude. Embalming yeah, school dropout. <laughs> okay. Hard no from the embalming school. Pass. Um, okay. Nico was also responsible for delivering bags of blood from the blood bank to the hospital's surgery rooms. Okay. Oh, great. I wonder where this is going. Mm-hmm. Can I uh, get a straw? <laughs> <laughs> it's my lunch break. I got to hit the blood bank. Um, <laughs> but often some bags of blood would be left over. And instead of oh, like... Good. He's only taking extras. Well, to not be caught. Yeah. But also like I think once they've been taken from the blood bank to and brought to the surgery room and then not used, then they can't ever... They can't go back. Yeah. They can't go back. They've been unrefrigerated or whatever. So um, instead of disposing them as, you know, biological waste, he would take them home. Mix them with human ashes, which he'd stolen from cemeteries, and protein powder to drink. Oh, my God. He's getting swole. (laughs) Muscle milk. Vamp, bro. (laughs) Then he would hit the YMCA and fucking live. Shred. Oh, my God. Leg day. (laughs) Leg day. that this was added to thicken the mixture since the bl- the blood at the blood bank bleh, was without plasma and very thin. Mm-hmm. So he had yeah, to... common problem. Had to, common problem. <laughs> we all have been there. Um, Nobody likes a thin milkshake, am I right? Right. So, but of course, Nico couldn't stop there. If there's one thing we know about his fantasies is that they escalate. Yep. We do know this. Skipping ahead a little bit. On November 15th, 1994, the Parisian Brigade Criminelle police force arrested 22-year-old Nicolas Clot outside the world-famous cabaret The Moulin Rouge. Okay. Pause. When does Ewan McGregor enter right. this story? <laughs> was suspected of the murder of 34-year-old Thierry Bisonnier. Bisonnier had been a restaurateur and a part-time classical musician. Police had done a welfare check on him after his family reported not having any contact with their son for three days and being very worried because it was very unlike him. Um, It would take three months for anyone to be like, where's Kenyon? 
What's happening? Besides Zach, he'd be like, I don't know. She's no. been in her office forever. If I don't wake up to like a texted to-do list in our WhatsApp <laughs> chat from you seven hours ahead, I am already sounding it. It's really true, actually. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So don't worry. If I wake we up would at know immediately to like go to the bathroom, I can't look at my phone or else it super stresses me out and I can't get back to sleep. I don't expect a response for like nine hours, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so police had done a welfare check on Bisonnier, and uh, they discovered his body in his apartment, and it was not good. Um, he had been shot multiple times in the head and back and had apparently bled out pretty slowly. The killer had also smashed his skull with a large potted plant, which was just overkill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He'd been killed at the beginning of October, but he was just one in a spate of murders under almost identical circumstances. Hmm. Whoa. Bisonnier was homosexual, and seven other homosexual men had also been murdered in Paris in October 1994 alone, in that month. Wow. Investigators believe the evidence pointed to a single serial killer. But how did they know to arrest Nico Clo, who had no criminal record? Did the, was he targeting no gay men just because he thought they'd be the easiest ones to, like, get alone? I think so, yes. He later said that, well, he made two conflicting statements later on, and one, the first one was when he was trying to get the court or judges to rule that he had, like, diminished responsibility, and so he said that he had, like, a negative encounter with a gay man at a cemetery earlier that day, and then he wanted to target gay men. But then later he admitted that that was just bullshit, and he actually doesn't care about anyone's sexual orientation, and it was just, like, a convenient access thing because of how he lured Bisonnier, which we will get to. Um... About two weeks after Bisonnier's murder, criminal mastermind Nico attempted to forge one of his victim's checks and driver's license in order to purchase a VCR. Yes, important purchase. Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubtfire on Lindale <laughs> Avenue for no one in sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> the shop clerk immediately recognized the scam, however, and called the police. Nico managed to run off before they arrived, but the clerk retained the forged driver's license with Nico's own picture, like, pasted onto it in <laughs> with the victim's name. Oh, no. And, oh. And so the search was on. That's a link. Yeah. My good man. That's a, that's a hard link. That's a hard link. <laughs> Oh, no, Nico. That's a trail. Clo. That is a trail of Reese's Pieces. <laughs> oh, no, no, Nico. No. E.T. is in the home. <laughs> Phone fucking home. <laughs> okay, about a month later, police were called to the Moulin Rouge to deal with an altercation between a man and a woman taking place outside on the sidewalk. I don't have any more details about that, like who the woman was and what was going on. It was on. me. It was me. <laughs> it was seven-year-old Lucy. He smashed, outside he the 
Chuck me to say it. Lo and behold, there's the man who had pasted his own face onto a dead man's driver's license. God damn it. Good lord. And he's very recognizable. Um, So police arrested Clo on the spot and took him in for questioning. They also rapidly obtained a search warrant for his apartment. It was almost simultaneous. They, like, got him in custody, and then another team... Like, as they were questioning him, another team was instantly going to his apartment. The judge called the cops to go to the apartment. <laughs> the judge was like, I kind of want to go, too. Is that cool? Dope. Um, <laughs> cool if I run along. <laughs> so, quote from Nico. Inside, they found a twenty-two caliber handgun under my bed, which they immediately sent off for ballistics tests. While they were probably not surprised to have found the pistol, they were almost certainly not prepared for the grisly scene that welcomed them. Oh, no. Buckle up, y'all. Investigators also discovered a large (laughs) quantity of unidentified skeletal remains dispersed throughout the home, as well as funeral jars filled with human ashes and blood bags stolen from the blood bank. In other words, breakfast. Is a funeral jar like an urn? (laughs) Yes. Daily harvest. Daily (laughs) harvest. I'm just kidding. I actually want them to advertise with us because I really want to try it. A magic bullet full of (laughs) muscle milk, human ash. Okay. Shed pounds off in just weeks. (laughs) Oprah endorsed. I'm not saying no. One of Oprah's favorite things. Um, Okay. More descriptions of the apartment. Quote, throughout my apartment, bone fragments and human teeth were scattered about like loose change. Jesus. He's saying this about his own place? Yes. Oh, God. Vertebras and leg bones hung from the ceiling like morbid mobiles. Oh, my God. Um, Lucy's dream home. I mean, I don't hate it. And hundreds of video cassettes, mostly slasher and hardcore SM flicks, filled my shelves. Mm-hmm. One, this is his word, so I am not king shaming. One can only imagine what went through the minds of the investigators as they looked around my living quarters. So he kind of is like proud of it. Yeah, totally. He's like smug about how fucking bonkers his house was. Quote, on one wall hung a bullet-riddled target, while across the room sat a TV set with jars of human ashes resting on top. Several bondage magazines were piled in a far corner, and nearby my backpack was found, which contained handcuffs, surgical instruments, and duct tape. In addition to my tastes and choice of decor... Investigators also discovered several stolen blood bags inside the refrigerator. God, okay. <laughs> so they didn't appreciate the aesthetic of his the home. The decor. That's what you're getting at. <laughs> Could have splurged for something past Ikea. Come on, Nico. <laughs> um, <laughs> under questioning and once presented with the ballistics evidence, which they developed very quickly, uh, Nico confessed to Bisonnier's murder. He explained he'd lured the victim via Minitel, which was kind of like a proto-internet system that was developed in France. Uh, So people had, like, kind of like computers, basically, 
1994, so it wasn't the internet, but it was the internet, if I'm making any sense. There was, well, the internet was invented in, like, 89 or something. So it could have yeah. been the internet. It's just not how we know right. it today. I guess it was the yeah. internet, but it wasn't the World Wide Web or whatever. I don't no. know. So whatever the distinction is, it was something. Um, but there were online communities on it uh, seeking various connections, sort of like clat, like today's like personal ads or like almost like a precursor to Grinder kind of. So he went on one of these communities and claimed that he was seeking a homosexual S&M encounter. And he he did seem to genuinely be into S&M, but I don't have evidence that he was homosexual himself. Okay. Uh, Bissonnier invited Nico to his apartment, uh, and but as soon as he arrived, he shot the victim in the head. But this shot didn't kill him. Quote, I watched him bleed on the carpet. Soon, I decided to see what the apartment was like and wandered around a bit. Oh, what a creep. I reloaded and fired a few more times, but he was still alive and making noise. I was surprised that he was still holding on. I had expected the first shot to kill him. After a few minutes, I went into his kitchen and found some cookies to eat. (laughs) I mean... America. I mean, <laughs> are they Girl Scout cookies? Because I just watched a forensic files where they like caught a guy because he stopped on the way out of murdering someone to have a Laffy Taffy, <laughs> and they could sink the Laffy the Taffy wrapper from his car to the same bag of Laffy Taffy that the victim had in her house. And I was like, this is how I will get caught. <laughs> Laffy Taffy would so not be worth it. Oh, I mean, Reese's peanut butter cup. Look, candy. I'm always going to go for chocolate first, but Laffy Taffy is pretty great. Um, Quick anecdote. I was cat sitting for the last four or five days and the owner has returned home. So that gig is over. But this bitch had bowls of Ghirardelli squares all over her (gasps) damn house. Yes, honey. And now they're gone. All different flavors. She had lint chocolate truffles, like the spherical truffles. In bowls around her house? Oh, my God. What is her... What is her... Will life? Uh, yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. I took real good care of her cat. I spent f- basically four full days at her house just eating chocolate. She also had a fireplace. Oh, oh my and god! And two ragdoll cats. So yeah, I lived at this her is house. Heaven. Replace the cats with dogs, and I'm moving in. Yeah, she had a amazing. big ass soaking tub, though, Amanda. What? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Did she fill it with chocolate? What squares? is Could her address? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. For real. So back to this gruesome murder. So Nico finds some cookies, and then he (laughs) sat in a corner of the room and watched him as I ate. When I was finished. This guy sucks. This whole time, this poor guy is still dying. When I was finished, I decided to get out of there quickly, so I shot him one last time in the back. I also lifted a huge plant container and smashed it on his head, crushing it some. I then wiped down my fingerprints, picked up his checkbook, a credit card, and a wallet with ID papers, his driving license, an alarm clock, and an answering machine, and finally left the scene. The things people like 
to take mm-hmm. always fascinate me. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Well, the answering machine... Here, okay, I have theories about both of those things. The alarm clock might have been set, so he didn't want an alarm to go off and, like, a neighbor to knock on the door, although multiple oh. gunshots might have something to do with that. Also... Um, the answering machine, people could call, you know, that might give investigators a more approximate time of when he was killed, if they could go back and see, like, the tapes. Okay. Okay. All right. He's I like covering how you his think. tracks. Slash him terrified yeah. by how you think. I think he's just a fucking weirdo, and he took weird <laughs> shit, and I'm not having it. Okay. So, he admits all this under questioning. However, he denies involvement in any of the other murders that police thought were linked. And um, ultimately, there wasn't enough evidence to link him to these other murders. So he might have been a serial killer, but officially not classified as a serial killer. So I did kind of cheat on the assignment a little bit, but he could have been. I mean, if you go to the extreme... The odds of him only killing one person are pretty low, I feel. I mean, my guy is a serial killer that other people called a vampire, but he didn't identify as a vampire, so... All right. It's all relative. We covered our bases then. Okay. So, he did inform investigators that he was a practicing Satanist, although I bet a lot of other self-identifying Satanists would um, object. And he said that he was on a, quote, special diet involving blood and strips of muscles from corpses under his care. Keto. Jack Link's human. Keto. He was in ketosis, so could you please bring my blood shake to the station? (laughs) Do you know how hard it is to get into ketosis? Okay. (laughs) For the next two years, Nicolas Clo underwent numerous court-ordered psychological tests to determine his fitness to stand trial. They concluded he had borderline psychotic personality disorder and was a necrophile and a sexual sadist, although that last part is kind of neither here nor there. Um, they established some level of diminished responsibility for his acts, but ultimately determined his conditions did not interfere with his discernment between right and wrong. So he did Mm -hmm. stand trial. Jurors deliberated for just three hours before finding Clo guilty of one count of premeditated murder, armed robbery, fraudulent use of a bank check, falsification of an ID document, and gasp attempt to defraud a retailer. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a little cherry on top. Failure to affix drug stamps. <laughs> That's my favorite added fuck you to like a to hardcore drug sentence. Oh, there are drug stamps. My bad. <laughs> what? What is a drug stamp? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. When people are convicted of drug crimes, uh, sometimes one of those last like additional cherry on tops charges is failure to affix a drug stamp. Right, but what's a drug stamp? Like an added tax for the government to collect. The way that they have like alcohol, you know, there's stamps on alcohol in some states. There is in Iowa. Oh. It's like it's it's an Uh, added tax. There aren't in Minnesota, so I guess I really don't know what that is. Okay. Okay. So Nico was condemned to, you want to guess how many years in prison? Four. Four. Premeditated murder and all these other things. 
I said four first. Well, do we both that's... say four? Don't underguess because yeah. that's three fifty. It's three ninety nine. Twelve. <laughs> I was close. I wasn't under guessing. I was realistically guessing. He's white, so I was gonna say he's a white man, <laughs> yeah. so he's gonna be fine. Don't worry. After serving just seven years and four months of his sentence, he was released from prison in March two thousand and two. I think he was released on oh his God. birthday. I think I matched with him on Tinder. <laughs> Well, as of September 2004, which I know is a long time ago, but that was the latest update that I found, he was living in Paris with a girlfriend. I hate (laughs) everything. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) Really? (laughs) You? He's not afraid of commitment. I hate him. In prison, he studied computer programming and took up painting. Oh, good for you. And since his release, Nico launched a website where he sells his own murder-themed art. And uh, here is a statement on the website. Quote, I have worked hard to improve myself through the development of artistic abilities. I cannot erase the past, but my goal is to channel the negativity that I have caused into pure creativity. I do not encourage other people into doing the things that I have done. The spiritual and social prices to pay are far too high. Wow. So that is Nico Clo, the vampire of Paris. Nice job. He's Thank the worst. you. When to start a family is a completely personal decision. Hello. Hello, Some in-laws. Some folks want kids. <laughs> Hello, in-laws. Hello, everyone in society. Stop pressing. <laughs> Hello, can um, I have this written in the sky? <laughs> <laughs> Do they make t-shirts? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Some folks want kids now, others want to wait 10 years, and we have all the tools to prevent pregnancy. Mine is in my arm right now. But we need more information to help us plan for it, even if kids are in the far, far future. Mm-hmm. So no matter what your plan is, that one simple step that you should consider taking today is an at-home hormone fertility test from Modern Fertility. So I took this test and um, got an email today saying that I bled too much on it. <laughs> Okay, from that the finger, sounds not a that little that matters. scary. Yeah. From the finger, you do like a finger prick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little She's lancet. She's going to get to it. Lucy misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> yeah, she did. I was watching The Real Housewives. I was a little distracted. I was massaging my finger. I was following the directions, but... I was three greyhounds in. Laps in judgment. You know, it, 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 it is what it is. But it my happens. favorite part about Modern Fertility is that they have emailed me... When I placed my order, when I got the kit, and then obviously today, when they very kindly informed me that I did it really wrong, <laughs> they'll be sending me another but kit. But they've been, like, walking you through this kind of personal process. The, the support cool. that they give is unparalleled, and I've actually been extremely impressed with just that alone. Plus, there's that convenience. They ship that kit straight to your home. Yeah. It's cost-efficient. It's $159, which isn't a small amount of money, but honestly, for the results and the information that you get from this test, it's mm-hmm. it could change the game for you. And, and imagine the cost and inconvenience of having to go to like a fertility specialist to get this. Oh, over a yeah. thousand bucks easily at the 
the doctor's office. And you can use your HSA or your FSA to pay for this kit, which is incredible. And, and I again, can't imagine that you'd be able to watch Real Housewives at the doctor's office while no. drinking Greyhounds, but she can no. with modern I fertility. Know. Okay, that was the best part. And like I said, you, you're connected with a fertility nurse. You can join a weekly webinar. There's groups that you can kind of participate in. They've got an online community, and that's really nice when you're just frustrated with again your in-laws constantly asking when you're gonna when you're gonna start a family. And it's like, oh god. Just mm-hmm. we're doing this on our own schedule. Yeah. So there's right. that peace of mind. You can trust them. I mean, with their their knowledge and their information, it's going to arm you to make that best decision for you. Mm -hmm. And again, that quality, all of their tests are conducted in a CLIA certified lab and Modern Fertility's team of physicians and clinical advisors lead some of the nation's top fertility clinics. Like, you can trust this team. Mm -hmm. I love it. So, go visit modernfertility.com forward slash gals, G-A-L-S, take their fertility quiz and get $20 off your Modern Fertility Test. That's modernfertility.com forward slash gals and take the fertility quiz and get $20 off. Modernfertility.com forward slash gals. Treat Do it. Your, your fertility. Pregnancy. Treat your, your fertility. family planning. planning. <laughs> oh, God bless family planning, though, for real. So it's kind of a sad fact and also my own personal experience that most people who lose weight tend to gain it all back. And why is that? Hi. It's because most weight loss plans just tell you what to do while you're on the plan, not afterwards, not for like the rest of your life, making it into a lifestyle. But with Noom, you'll lose the guilt and learn how to develop a new relationship with food. Food is not your enemy. Honestly, that losing the guilt part was my favorite thing about using Noom. You have a goal specialist who can be there to cheer you on, answer any questions that you have. Like I had to ask her, you know, why does eating bread make me feel nauseous? And she gave me a very well-informed answer. (laughs) And now I'm trying to eat less bread. But they're not there to shame you. They can just teach you, educate you on why your body reacts to certain foods the way that they do, some emotional connections that you might have to certain foods and to just eating in general, which, hi, hello. Uh, the other thing that I loved about it is because is that they have a psychological like component to these lessons. So you have very short articles that you can read every day. You can learn about the impact that eating and emotions and like everything um, has on your diet and your weight. And your you it's not a diet; it's a learning program and. The way that you can track your meals is also super interesting. They're not, there's nothing that's off limits. They just categorize into green, yellow, and red food groups. So nice. limit the red, limit the yellow, have as much of the green as you want. It's just a new way to look at the calories that you're taking in every day. I loved it. And you can love it too. Noom is designed for results. You can meet your resolutions. It's not too late by signing up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash gals. What do you have to lose? Literally nothing. Visit Noom.com forward slash gals to start your trial today. Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash gals, G-A-L-S. Start losing weight for good. Treat your bod. Mm-hmm. Treat lose, lose the guilt. And six pounds. And the gut. <laughs> One thing that I like to do is to take a nightly bath surrounded by candles. 
same hard it's so extra. <laughs> <laughs> it's really necessary. And um, we are super excited about our sponsor, Rose Marino Candles. Uh, it was founded by Rachel Whitcomb, uh, and she began making candles to distract herself from her boring-ass job. Uh, and also Been because... There. Yeah. <laughs> because she was tired of buying expensive AF candles that didn't last longer than a single evening. Preach. Yes, mm-hmm. that is the worst. So after a few years, she had perfected the right formula of soy waxes to create a super long-lasting and strongly scented candle. And I'm not somebody that's super into strong scents, but these candles are gorgeous, y'all. Oh, my God. I love um, them. And so one night after drinking a bottle of wine, girl, after our own hearts, Duh. she decided to turn it into a business, Rose Marino Candles. And it is brilliant. I personally have the sexy time candle. Obviously. <laughs> it is. It fills my home with sexy a time. soothing, sensual <laughs> scent. It's like kind of spicy. It's not too strong. I love how subtle mm-hmm. these candles are. I got a bunch of samples in like the tea light size and I have not found one that I don't like, but the sexy time one is amazing. And um, quick anecdote, because it is my personal experience. Uh, <laughs> I lit my sexy time candle the other day and I was just relaxing on the couch listening to, it has a wood wick. So it like crackles while oh, it's burning, yes. which is my freaking favorite thing. It's a tiny fireplace. Um, Mm. And exactly. And I can attest to how long these candles last because I forgot it was burning (gasps) and went out to dinner. No. (laughs) Amanda. I know. I know. It's bad. Not recommended. Do not try this at home. Totally intact, not burned to the ground home. (laughs) A home that smelled incredible. And that candle burned unattended for like three hours. There's still a ton of it left, you guys. It's amazing. Did you get laid then? It's a long-lasting candle. Um, I mean... (laughs) It worked! (laughs) These are conjuring candles. Use them in your spells. No. Don't give false advertising. You can, though, if you wanted to. I can neither confirm nor deny that I got laid while that candle was burning. (laughs) Well, another bonus to those candles... Is that their production is focused on sustainability, so there's no plastic in any part of Rosemarino products. All the packing that. materials are reused from other packages. I love that. Thank you. And the packing peanuts are biodegradable. Also, I love thank that. you. <laughs> so, yeah, this company, that she knows what she's doing. I'll put it that way. And Wine and Crime listeners get 20% off and free shipping on their first order by entering the code GALS at checkout. So go to www.rosemarinocandles.com, and that is R-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-O candles.com. So put all of the candles in the world in your cart. You will not regret it. Enter that promo code GALS at checkout, and that'll get you 20% off and free shipping. Treat yo olfactory glands. Treat yo bath slash sexy time. (laughs) Yup. Get it. All right. Well, like I mentioned previously, I don't feel like this is the same as misunderstanding the assignment because this person does pop up as being labeled a vampire serial killer. So (laughs) it fits, but he did not identify as a vampire. This is Friedrich Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman. One more time. (laughs) Friedrich Heinrich 
Carl Fritz Harmon. Zena Dieu. To you. Harmon. And yes. you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. It's my first Fritz party, was... father. Oh, God. <laughs> Do not equate that beautiful person, what was it? classic One person film. party? What was it? With <laughs> party of one, party, party of one. one. Wait, party for party one. Party for 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 one. <laughs> Another inside joke nobody understands. Okay. Party of one. Party uh, of one. Party of one. Fritz was fucking born <laughs> in Austria, in Hanover, Germany, on Octor. Oh my God! You need to shut up so I can get through the first sentence of my to Captain von Trapp. <laughs> no, and you Baroness just take over. Elsa I'm gonna sit here and eat chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna eat chocolate. You guys take it from here. All right, Swiss chocolate. <laughs> Any kind of chocolate will do. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> He was the sixth and youngest child born to Johanna and Ollie Harmon. <laughs> and all of his play outfits were exclusively made from draperies. Made from curtains. <laughs> he particularly enjoyed bright copper kettles and, and warm woolen mittens. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. All right, we're we're gonna get it together, listeners. I'm sorry, we're getting it together. No, we're not. This will just be one of those really fun three-hour episodes. Our careers are one long spiral into the sound of music jokes. Mm-hmm. Fritz was a quiet child with few friends his own age who seldom socialized with any children other than his siblings. Mm. <laughs> Outside I of feel school. That. <laughs> now, before I say this next part, I want to point out that this is a fucking patriarchy moment and behavior in general should not be gendered in the fucking first place, but this was noted in my research, so I'm including it. From an early age, Harmon's behavior was noticeably effeminate. Okay. He was, he was known to shun boys' activities, quote-unquote, and instead play with his sister's dolls and dress in their clothes. Baby Fritz, you mm-hmm, do you. Mm-hmm. However, you turned out not mm-hmm. so great. Probably because he because was that. oppressed and repressed from being who he wanted yep, to be. Yep, we're going to get to that, too. I have a rant written in. Yeah. So hold your horses. I love a pre-prepared rant. Yeah, because as I was doing my research, I just started internally ranting, and I was like, I'm going to write this down. Yes. Um, he also developed a passion for both needlework and cookery, mm. which and would develop a close relationship with his mother, who apparently doted on him to the point of spoiling him rotten. Also fucking patriarchy. Exactly, I know. All of it. At age 15, he enrolled in a military academy in Breisach, Germany. <laughs> Deutschland. <laughs> Guten Tag. Edelweiss. <laughs> Edelweiss. Dirndl. <laughs> Gesundheit. Okay. Ich habe eine Klaufuss. <laughs> Gluten-free. <laughs> Gluten-free. <laughs> 
Uh, Harmon initially adapted to military life and performed well as a trainee soldier. However, after five months of military service, he began to suffer periodic lapses of consciousness, which although initially described by a medical professional as being sudden signs of anxiety neuroses, would subsequently be diagnosed as being, quote, equivalent to epilepsy. Hmm. So he was just fainting a lot? Yeah, he was like passing out. He was a fainting goat. So he got goat. this diagnosis. He was a fainting goat. Aww. He got this diagnosis in October of 1895, and about a month later, he uh, discharged himself from the military to return to Hanover, but it wasn't like a... It was like he had the medical backing to be like, okay, I don't want to stay anymore. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to make him leave, but he could leave of his own volition because of this mm-hmm. condition. Okay. Now... The reason I felt that mentioning Fritz's, quote, effeminate behavior was important is because of this next bit, and bear with me as I get through this because I want to explain why I feel the two issues are related and I am not mm-hmm. a monster. Well, I mean, I am, mm-hmm. but... So, at the age <laughs> of 16... Going on 17. Harmon... Going on 17. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> Everything circles back to the sound of music. Always. <laughs> Everything in life. He needed someone older um, and wiser telling him what really to do. Did. Exactly. And he committed his first known sexual offense. Oh, no. Oh, no. And there were many, and all of them involved young boys whom he would lure to secluded areas, typically a cellar, like a basement. Mm-hmm before proceeding to sexually abuse them. He was first arrested for committing offenses of this nature in July of 1896. Uh, Following further offenses uh, of the same nature, the Division for Criminal Matters, which is basically like the Mm -hmm. cops in Germany at the time, (laughs) opted to place Harmon in a mental institution. Although briefly transferred to a Hanover hospital for psychiatric evaluation, he would be certified as being, quote, incurably deranged Hmm. and unfit to stand trial for his offenses. Incurably deranged does not sound PC. Not anymore. No, it doesn't. This This is also the 1890s. Um, He was ordered to be confined at the mental institution indefinitely in May of 1897. So... Fritz is clearly struggling with his sexual identity in a time when it was completely unacceptable to be mm-hmm. gay. Does this excuse molesting little boys? Fuck. And no. are those two things does, the same? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. So let's just make that perfectly fucking clear. But does the fucking patriarchy have a role in creating an environment where homosexuality is so wrong that repressed and confused young men likely also struggling with undiagnosed and untreated mental health issues resort to some fucked up shit? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it does. And I think it's worth noting that at this time, even if Fritz had been discovered to be engaging in consensual homosexual behavior, he would have been met with the same fate of either institutionalization or prison. Mm -hmm. People are ultimately responsible for their actions, and I am not refuting that in any way, shape, or form. This person molested young boys, and that is absolutely Mm -hmm. wrong. All I am saying is everyone should fucking smash the patriarchy because it breeds abusive behavior mm-hmm. and the abusive behavior is like an algae and the fucking behavior or the fucking patriarchy is like the perfectly tempt swamp that it mm-hmm. thrives in. That's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. And that's my mm-hmm. rant. I like Don't it. Ray, me too. <laughs> yeah. 
Doe a fucking deer, a female deer. <laughs> a female so, identifying deer. Oh my exactly. god. Oh my cue the email. So seven months after he is committed to this institution, he escapes. Mm. Oh. Because, duh, this case would be really boring if he was just committed for life and then it was over. The end. Um, he escaped to Zurich, Switzerland, where he lived with a relative for a little over a year. Oh, my God. He came he, back to Hanover. He escaped the system, went yep. over the Alps into Switzerland yeah. with a bunch of this nuns. This is the dark version. Singing the whole way. The whole way. Yodeling. Mm-hmm. Yolay. Selling cough drops. Yolay. Yes, An oversized exactly. puppet. Nicola. <laughs> what? An oversized puppet. Anyway. <laughs> From that scene. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the Teletubbies. I was you like, mm. went to Ricola <laughs> and then to Teletubbies, and we were still sort of hanging mm-hmm. out with Sound mm-hmm. of Music, and everybody got mm-hmm. confused, and we're only like three paragraphs. I didn't think they were oversized. That's all. Mm. Anyway. <clears throat> he goes back to Hanover, he gets married, he has a kid, and then he's called up to perform compulsory military service. So apparently Germany, like, doesn't give a fuck that he escaped a lifelong <laughs> sentence in a mental institution. Record-keeping was not great. Their systems were but they not had to, compatible. It doesn't make sense to me that, like, when they called him up for military duty, they had nothing flagged that was like, JK, he's been... Con- when I turned 18, <laughs> I got so many letters being like, you have to sign up for the draft. And my mom was like... Don't. She is female. Like, this has never been a yeah. question. Legally, not a thing. What the... F- right. Where... Because like, they don't... They don't... They only send that to... Right, men, right, right, exactly. So, like, how did they get mine? I think somebody just, like, was combing through a list of names and saw my name and was like, that sounds vaguely male. <laughs> add add them on. Let's draft her. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, um, so he's deployed in 1900 to the Alsatian city of Colmar, which you can file under places I have never heard of, but it's in eastern mm-hmm. France. Thank you. Gorgeous Google. this time oh, of year. No. Oh, oh, Colmar in the spring. Are you mm, the lavender? Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, throughout his service, Harmon uh, earned a reputation among his superiors as an exemplary soldier and excellent marksman. And he would later describe this period of service with this battalion as being the happiest of his entire life. So he likes some structure. Yeah, it's he nice. Did. But. After collapsing while on exercise with his battalion in October of 1901, again, fainting goat, Mm -hmm. uh, he began regularly suffering dizzy spells and was subsequently hospitalized for over four months. Can you even imagine? Yeah. A military hospital in 1901 for four months. Mm -hmm. Can't believe you made it out alive. I know, seriously. Um, He was later deemed, quote, unsuitable for military service and work and was dismissed from military service on July 28th of 1902. He returned to Hanover and opened a fishmongery with his wife. Uh, This only lasted about a year before Fritz was officially classified as disabled and unable to work by the army. So they were like, you're on government assistance. You can't work. Funded by the military. You can't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're good. Uh, about that same year, his marriage fell apart, and when his wife Erna left him, she took the fishmongery with mm-hmm. her. Oh, I'm keeping the dogs. 
dumbass. Taking the fishmongery, dumbass. <laughs> For the next decade, Harmon primarily lived as a petty thief, burglar, and con artist. Mm. And Fräulein. Although he did... <laughs> and Fräulein. Although he did occasionally obtain legitimate employment, he invariably stole from his employers or their customers. Mm-hmm. Don't shit where you eat. You're going to get fired. <laughs> Beginning in 1905, he served several short prison sentences for offenses such as larceny, embezzlement, and assault. Um, on one occasion when working legitimately as an invoice clerk, My which job. like we are in, yeah, we are in <laughs> the process of looking for an invoice clerk. You might clerk. think that so I'm if you're a podcaster, in, but actually I'm just a fucking invoice yeah. clerk. If you're an ex fishmonger who identifies as a vampire, please mm-hmm. apply. <laughs> um, Harmon became acquainted with a female employee with whom he would later claim to have robbed several tombstones and graves mm. with her between 1905 and 1913, but he was never charged with these offenses. Consequently, he spent the majority of the years between 1905 and 1918, a long stretch, mm-hmm. in jail, in and out of jail that whole mm. time. Um, with some work release, though, because of the manufacturing demands of World War I. After his release in 2018, he made his way back to Hanover once again. Can't keep the man out of Hanover. Mm-hmm. Where he reports to have been struck by the poverty affecting Germany post-war. As a result of this poverty, the nation was enduring in the years immediately following World War I. Many basic commodities became increasingly scarce and expensive to purchase, which fueled an increase in crimes such as theft, assault, and murder, in addition to a significant increase in black market trading. Yes. Due to the police treaty, or sorry, the peace treaty, <laughs> due to the peace treaty signed in 1919, <laughs> Germany had no army. They were forbidden to participate in the arms trade, and its police forces were badly paid and overstretched and had limited resources at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm, like, really sympathizing with fucking World War One and World War Two Germany, but there are a lot of people who lived in Germany at the time who were not, who were affected by this war, who didn't necessarily, like... Well, World War One, they were no more at fault than any other country that participated in that crazy war. And then they just lost the poverty that came after World War One helped engender fucking Hitler. So exactly. It's not not the best. Yeah. It's string of situations for Germany. No, exactly, Dr. Um so Um, With these limited resources for the police, police were welcoming the assistance and information of the public in the, like, form of informants. Mm -hmm. So Fritz started working as a police informant, even though by this point he was known to be a criminal and, quote, a known homosexual. That was a very popular Mm -hmm. thing to call Mm -hmm. people, like, known Um, which at the time was illegal and punishable by imprisonment in Germany, but they turned a blind eye in, ex- a blind eye in exchange for information, um, and he became a trusted informant because of the amount of arrests his work led to over the mm-hmm. years. So he was really good at like catching uh, black market traders because he would essentially catfish people where he would like set up a transaction at his mm-hmm. home the police would come and bust it, and then to cover his ass, the police would also arrest him in these busts mm. and then just, like, discreetly release him a couple days later so these other criminals are like, oh, he's a criminal, right. too, and people aren't coming after him. 
So he was tight with the police, and they were like, sweet. They're making tons of arrests of, of these criminals as a result of mm-hmm. his work. Um, it's entirely possible, though, that this allowed Fritz to fly under the radar for a lot more than homosexuality and theft, however, because between 1918 and 1924, Fritz was known to have committed at least 24 murders. Ooh. With a suspected count of 27, but he also made different claims that he killed 50 people, 70 people, 30 people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of all over the place. They think 27 is like the sweet spot. Dang. Um, And again, this guy had been given a life sentence in a mental institution, escaped, served time in the military, (laughs) and then ended up working for the police and killed like 27 people. So this guy has flown under the radar hard and been rolled. What a life. (laughs) He's had a full life. Memories. So you're... Exactly. So you're probably wondering how any of this relates to vampire crimes. Mm. We are about to find out. Well, it doesn't. He got the nickname. (laughs) Yeah, and that's my case. Um, You're about to find out how he got the nickname the Vampire of Hanover. All of Harmon's victims were males between the ages of 10 Mm. and 22, so he liked Mm. them young. Um, But the majority of his victims were in their mid to late teens. The victims would be lured back to one of three addresses in which Harmon is known to have resided throughout those years. He spent most of the time of his time in this one, like, real gross attic apartment. Mm. Um, He is known to have lured them in on the promise of assistance, like financial assistance, accommodation, like a place to live, work, or under the pretense of arrest, because he literally worked for the police, so he would target, like, petty thieves. Mm. These, like, kids on the street stealing for their fucking dinner, Be Like, probably, if you don't come with me, I'm going to get you arrested. Exactly, because I'm a police informant, mm. so he's using positions of power. Mm-hmm. Um, at his apartment, the victim would typically be given food and drink before he bit into his Adam's apple. What? <laughs> Why? Why there? I don't even have one, but that just sounds like it would hurt. Yeah, often while he was strangling the victims. Oh, well, keep them from screaming. So, well, yeah. In many instances, the victims would die of asphyxiation of the strangling, but on several occasions, he would bite completely through the Adam's apple and into the trachea. Oh. No! What is the Adam's apple? What is that I don't chunk? really know. Send us an email describing exactly pit. what an Adam's apple is. It's a peach yeah. pit. All, all babies mm-hmm. born with, like, stereotypically male genitalia are forced to swallow mm-hmm. a peach pit that just stays in your it's throat like a forever. When I was... Hashtag things they don't tell you in what to expect <laughs> when you're expecting. Quick anecdote. When I was little, my dad told me that if I ever ate a cherry or swallowed a cherry, my belly button would turn red. And I believed it for entirely too long. <laughs> Until a week or so ago. <laughs> so sad. I God, remember watching that pie. episode... Remember that episode of Rugrats where Chucky swallows the fucking watermelon seed and they all like shrink down tiny to go get it out because it's starting to grow a watermelon in his belly? Yeah, vividly. I do remember that. No. Yeah, I, that scarred me in, well into Mm -hmm. adulthood. I, I still prefer seedless Mm -hmm. watermelon. (laughs) This explains why Amanda is the way she Mm -hmm. is. Yeah, that shit (laughs) fucked me up. Um, So he would refer to the act of biting through his victim's neck as being his, quote, love bite. Ew. Uh, Gross. Yeah. 
he nursed all of Harmon's victims were then dismembered before their bodies were discarded, usually in the Len Line River. I don't know. Sure. Leany. Lena Dunham River. A German river that starts with an L. We're going to go with um, the, Yeah, love it. The personal possessions of Harmon's victims would typically be retained for the personal use of Harmon or his lover, Hans Grons. Hans, do me butt. Hans, do see me butt. You made that up. Hans Grons. No, I didn't. His name is Hans Grons. That is Hans down the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> Hans Grons from Constantinople. I love it. Um, or he would sell these people's possessions on the black market or through criminal contacts um, that both of these men had established at Hanover Central Station, which is like through the police station. Although the personal possessions of some victims were sold to legitimate retailers. You'd like go into a Macy's and there's like a dead man's grave. Okay. That's how I imagined it anyway. <laughs> Um, Fritz and Hans had met and become lovers while Hans was a sex worker in Hanover and quickly formed a strong bond as both lovers and criminal accomplices. In several instances, both Harmon and Hans Grans (laughs) are known to have given possessions belonging to various victims to acquaintances as gifts. Shit like this makes me question every gift mm-hmm. I have ever received. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't like look everyone into has it too much. That, I don't want to. I'm too scared because everyone has like that sketchy friend that they really haven't heard from in years. It's me. Mm-hmm. It's usually me. It's you. <laughs> and it's like, did that little chapstick mm-hmm. like gift bag come from a dead mm-hmm. person? I don't know where you are. I haven't seen you since 2002. Where did that poop hat come from? Mm-hmm. Remember when I sent you that um, with no note? Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a it wasn't a hat. I wore it as a you hat. could wear it, it as a pillow. Hat. Yeah, it was a pillow. I it, still like, have it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Um, rumors also circulated that the flesh of his victims had been consumed by Harmon himself or sold on the black market as pork or horse Gross. meat. Oh my god, it's like every episode this comes up. I know. I love it. I love to find one where people are peddling human meat. It's like my favorite thing. Go to North Korea. Done. (laughs) Although no physical evidence was ever produced to confirm these theories, Harmon was known to be an active trader in contraband meat, which was uh, boneless, diced, and often sold as mince. mince. So it would be really easy. (laughs) Mince pies. It would be easy to hide human flesh in there. To the various individuals who questioned where he had acquired the meat... Harmon would explain that he had purchased the product from a butcher named Carl, who literally never existed. Mm. This is Was it Carl so like, Darl? Carl's <laughs> Jr. <laughs> so, like, he deaf ate and sold human meat. This is officially fact now, and don't eat it, Carl's Jr. It's probably human. But Carl's Jarlsberg is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, on May 17th of 1924, two children are playing near the Lyme mm-hmm. River and discover a human oh, skull. Oh, my dream. 
I know, Seriously. but also my nightmare. Um, it was determined to be that of a young male aged between 18 and 20 years old and bearing evidence of knife wounds. Um, police were skeptical as to whether a murder had been committed or whether the skull had either been discarded in this location by grave robbers, which was like a really common mm-hmm. thing. Remember, mm-hmm. fucking right, poverty. Right. Or placed there in a tasteless prank by medical <laughs> students. <laughs> By Lucy police work. By Lucy I know. I was like, thought of you immediately. Here, um, okay. Police. What are the odds if you just discovered a human skeleton just and you skull. reported it to the police? What are the odds that they'd just let you keep it? Zero. Do you think they the just odds like keep are it? zero. It's evidence. I mean, honey, no. Well, that's. I guess the moral that. of I'm the story is anything. don't report it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fucking question? Oh my god! Oh my god! I can't wait to get to the end of this story because there's a reveal. I'm really nice. excited. Okay. Um. So crack police work. They're like, Meh, probably not a murder. Probably a prank. Mm-hmm. But whatever. They also theorize that the skull may have been discarded in the river at. Allfeld, which had recently experienced an outbreak of typhoid. So there was like a lot of mass deaths, grave, burial, and mass But why death. would it just be like a skull and not uh, a head if it were a recent death? Well, I mean, good question. Okay. This is just a police theory, but who knows? And I mean, I th- like we've learned from Lucy over the last two fucking years of doing this podcast. <laughs> if it's found in a river right. and it's been sitting in a river, the water could definitely speed up the decay. Yeah. Yeah. Fish and turtles and, and how, shit eat that. Yeah, things snacking on it and then it's sitting and running in flowing right. water. It's possible that a clean skull could make it down the river. For okay. sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> so a couple weeks later, uh, May 29th, I know. Well, Lucy, you need to move to this A time and B place because two weeks later on May 29th, a second skull was found behind a mill race located close to the scene of the earlier skull discovery. Mm. This skull was also identified as having been that of a young male aged between 18 and 20. Shortly thereafter, two boys playing in a field close to the village of Doran discovered a sack containing numerous human bones. Oh my god, I do need to move time and place. It's a smorgasbord. <laughs> Just camp out at this Lucy river gets line. Lucy a time machine and goes back to the yeah, line river in 1918. <laughs> Cops don't make you turn over the skulls then. Just 1924. You want to go to 1924. After all the murders, have truly changed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you definitely want to go back to 1924 because two more skulls were found on June 13th. One upon the banks of the Line River, another located uh, close to a mill in West Hanover. Each of the skulls had been removed from the vertebrae with a sharp instrument. One skull belonged to a male in his late teens. The other belonged to a boy estimated to have been about uh, 11 or 12 years old. Um, and one of these skulls bore evidence of having been scalped. Ooh. Ooh. That's not from yeah, grave that's robbing. A that's a telltale sign right there. Yeah, yeah, that'll tell you. So for more than a year prior to all of these discoveries, rumors had already been circulating among the population of Hanover regarding the fate of the sheer number of children and teenagers who had been reported missing in the city. Mm. 
So the discoveries of all of these remains sparked new, fresh rumors regarding missing and murdered children, and various newspapers responded to these discoveries and the resulting rumors by harking to the disproportionate number of young people who had been reported missing in Hanover between 1918 and 1924, right after this guy got released from prison. Mm. And in 1923 alone, almost 600 teenage boys and young men had been reported missing in Hanover alone oh my in one God. year. That's yeah. like a Damn. huge percentage of the population. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hanover was a big and still is a pretty populated area. Still but, yeah, 100 that's a lot. teenage boys in one year. And young men. In the city. Uh-huh. Wow. Even if there's over yeah. half a million people in the city, that's still a That's chunk. a lot of people. Oh, my yeah. God. Granted, again, this is now, like, the 1920s. It's probably, it's, like, post-war, impoverished Germany. People are moving around. Record-keeping's not good. There's typhoid. You know, there's it, typhoid. It's also possible that, like, a lot of... Teenage boys and young men had been reported missing post-war because maybe they didn't come home for whatever reason. You know, there could be well, a lot of factors. Is, at, at this point, it's pretty far point. after the war. Pretty but, far out, yeah. yeah. No, I know. But it just I'm just, like, theorizing. Right. But it's a pretty staggering statistic. Um, on June 8th, several hundred Hanover residents converged close to the Line River and searched both the banks of the river and the surrounding areas, discovering a number of human bones. So, like, after all this shit was washing up and people's kids are, like, fucking playing soccer with skulls, they were like, okay. <laughs> we're gonna look. We need to... It's football. We need to look. Yeah, okay, you're right. Footy. You're right. <laughs> Footy. Um, so they just kind of took it upon themselves to work with police and... F- pull out all of these fucking bones and hand them over to the police. Um, In response to these latest discoveries, police decided to drag the entire section of the river which ran through the center of the city. In doing so, they discovered more than 500 further human bones and sections of bodies, many bearing knife wounds, like are evidence of knife wounds, which were later confirmed by a court doctor as having belonged to at least 22 separate human individuals. Whoa. Whoa. All in the same place. Approximately half of the remains had been in the river for some time, because he'd been doing this since, like, 1918, Mm -hmm. where other bones and body parts had been discarded in the river more recently. Many of the recent and age discoveries bore evidence of having been dissected, particularly at the joints. Over 30% of the remains were judged to have belonged to young males aged between 15 and Mm -hmm. 20. Um, Suspicion for these discoveries pretty much immediately fell upon Harmon, who was known to both the police and the criminal investigation department as a homosexual who had amassed 15 previous convictions dating from 1896 until basically then for various offenses, including child molestation and the sexual assault and battery of a minor. So immediately they were like, okay. Right. We're so it wasn't that necessarily that he was homosexual, although I'm sure there was horrible discrimination and stigma then. It was because he was a child molester. Absolutely. Well, a, a child molester who preyed on right. young boys, I think, is really more where it was like, that's what right. we're looking. Um, he had also been connected to the 1918 disappearance, uh, disappearances of Friedel Roth. Mm. And a 14-year-old named Harmon Cook, Mm. who had disappeared weeks prior to Roth. Harmon was placed under surveillance, not Herman, but Mm -hmm. Harmon Fritz, Mm -hmm. 
was placed under surveillance, um, and being a trusted police informant, he was known to frequent Hanover Central Station. So as he was well known to many officers from Hanover, two young policemen were drafted from Berlin mm. to pose as undercover officers who, and discreetly observe his every fucking nice. movement. Yeah, so they made some smart choices. They started on June 18th of 1924 by uh, of uh, dogging him, like following mm-hmm. him around. Um, on the night of June 22nd, so just a couple days later, he was observed by the two undercover officers prowling Hanover's Central Station. He was soon observed arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Karl Fromm, then to approach police and insist that they arrest young Carl on the charge of traveling with forged documents. Mm -hmm. Upon his arrest, Fromm informed police that he had been living with Fritz for four days and that he had been repeatedly raped by him, sometimes with a knife held to his throat. Oh, fun. Yep. Fritz was arrested the following morning and charged with sexual assault. Thank you. Following his arrest, his apartment was searched and this was damning. It was not Mm. good. So we get to have another description of a fucked up apartment. Apartment. Okay. The flooring, walls, and bedding within the apartment were found to be extensively bloodstained. Harmon initially attempted to explain this fact as a byproduct of his illegal trading in contraband. Which I like to play with in bed. In Mm. bed. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. What? The bedding? Get out of here. I mean, I do a lot of my work in bed, too. I'm just saying. (laughs) But you don't eat in bed. Don't eat in bed. Or at least there aren't crumbs. Don't grind your meat in bed. (laughs) I mean, grind your meat in bed, but don't grind your meat. Like, don't actually grind meat. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, everything was covered in blood, he, and he was trying to say it's because he's a fucking black market meat mm-hmm. man. Um, but they were not really believing that. And various acquaintances and former neighbors of Fritz were also extensively questioned about his activities. Many fellow tenants and neighbors of the various addresses that he'd lived in since 1920 commented to, to, commented to detectives about the number of teenage boys they observed visiting his apartments. Mm-hmm. Some had seen him leaving his property with concealed sacks, bags, or baskets in the late evening or early morning hours. Mm -hmm. Two former tenants informed police that in the spring of 1924, they had discreetly followed him from his apartment and observed him discarding a sack into the Lion River. Oh, my God. Y'all. (laughs) Report this kind of shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, best case scenario, dude is littering. Right, right. Worst case, they're getting rid of a body. Either way, it's a crime. I don't know if littering was a crime then. Dumping in the river probably was, but I don't know for sure. But yeah, if you're suspicious enough of someone to follow them, and then you see them dumping something in a river, at what point are you like, never mind, no longer suspicious? Yep, (laughs) I'm just going to go home. I um, I found this part to be like particularly heart wrenching. Again, he and Hans Grom <laughs> used to, yeah, exactly, keep and then use for whatever their own gains, profit, the personal items f- of their victims. Mm-hmm. And tons of these clothes and personal possessions were found in his apartment and in the possession of his acquaintances and they were suspected as being the property of all these missing youths so all of it was confiscated and put on display at the Hanover police station 
and the parents of missing teenage boys from across Germany oh. were invited to take oh, a look at all these no. items. Oh, oh, that's so I know. Sad. So as days went by, an increasing number of items were identified by these family members as having belonged to their sons and brothers. Uh. Um, yeah, that would be really fucking tragic to witness. Mm-hmm. Um, Fritz did initially attempt to dismiss these successive relations as being circumstantial in nature by explaining that he acquired a lot of these items through his business of trading in used clothing and other like black market shit, which again, the police knew about because he was an informant and they just kind of looked. Yeah. Well, if your apartment wasn't soaked in blood, then maybe. Exactly. Exactly. And he was like, also a lot of this stuff was just left here after having like consensual sex with these boys. So it's like, mm, I don't know. But the turning point came when on June 29th, clothes, boots, and keys found stowed at his apartment were identified as belonging to a missing 18-year-old named Rob Robert Weitzel. Mm, Robert Adel Weitzel. <laughs> exactly. Um, a skull had been found in a garden on May 20th, which was initially not connected with uh, later skeletal discoveries, but then they like went back on it. It was identified as that of the, this missing kid, Weitzel. And a friend of Weitzel identified a police officer seen in the company of the youth the day prior to his disappearance as Fritz. Oh, so he was pretending to be a, not just an informant, but a police officer. But a police officer. And he did it several times to lure in mm-hmm. victims under, like, I'm going to arrest mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I guess that's not um, a big so, leap to make, though. If he's No, it's not. Yeah. If he's working directly he with the police. He knows the lingo. He knows, yeah, how yeah, they work. Exactly. That was inevitable, I feel. But at least there was a witness who saw him with this poor kid, Weitzel, because... Yeah. You know, they have, like, all this evidence, but obviously the more and They the definitely don't have DNA. Um, no, they don't, because it is not that time. But this kind of ended up being the kicker, knowing that he'd been identified because he was confronted with this evidence, and he was kind of, like, shaken up by it, and he apparently tried to, like, bluster his way out of these latest and very damning pieces mm-hmm. of evidence. Um, and... Then this fucking kid, Weitzel's jacket, was found in the possession of his landlady. So, like, on the property. And he she was did it all. It was all her. Oh, yeah, that's the twist. <laughs> She's the oh fucking God, vampire it, of Hanover. <laughs> it wasn't. You said you it had wasn't. a twist. That is not, there's no twist. There's a reveal <laughs> on the drive. So don't go to the drive until okay. I tell you. Um According to Fritz, he never actually intended to murder any of his victims, but would be seized by an irresistible urge to bite into or through their Adam's apple in the throes of ecstasy before typically collapsing atop the victim's body. Mm -hmm. Only one intended victim had escaped from Harmon's apartment after he attempted to bite into his Adam's apple. Although this individual is not known to have reported the attack to police, most likely because he was a sex worker. Mm -hmm. And this is still a huge issue now with sex workers not being respected or afforded proper protections and being too afraid to report. And that shit needs to fucking stop because it's not 19 fucking 20 anymore. Um, All of his victims were disposed of via dismemberment shortly after their murder. And Harmon was insistent that he found the act of dismemberment extremely unpleasant. Oh, he had trouble cutting a chicken. He did. (laughs) He had stated that he had even been ill for, quote, eight days after his first mm-hmm. murder. 
Nonetheless, he was insistent that his passion at the moment of murder was invariably, quote, stronger than the horror of the cutting and the chopping. So he just had to do it, even though he knew that he would have to endure this horrible act of dismemberment. Task rabbit! Yep. (laughs) Which would follow and would typically take up to two days to complete. I feel like a woman would be better at that than a man, honestly. Fucking women get, you know, babies barfing into their mouths and shit. We'd just be like, like this sucks, but... We don't like to sit and look at a mess. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Dads get barfed onto, too, so... We don't like it. Whatever. I'm just saying, Um, I feel like women just pull up their big girl pants and fucking do it. Yeah. In general. Yeah. 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 Well, he did it. If we're going to generalize, I'm okay with that generalization. Mm -hmm. Um, To fortify himself to dismember his victim's bodies, he didn't pour himself a stiff drink. He would instead pour himself a cup of strong black coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Then place the body of his victim upon the floor of his apartment, cover the face with a cloth, before first removing the intestines, which he would place inside a bucket. Mm A towel would then be repeatedly placed inside the abdominal cavity to soak the collecting blood. He would then make three cuts between the victim's ribs and shoulders, then, quote, take hold of the ribs and push until the bones around the shoulders broke. So he developed a method because he did this so frequently. Oh, yeah. So, hold on. He made three cuts between the ribs and the shoulders. What does that mean? Correct. Vertical uh, cuts? I mean, I don't know. I don't have a diagram. Well, I. why not? And they don't have a diaphragm. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing and terrible. <laughs> you win. <laughs> you win. So gross. So, yeah, just use your imagination. Oh, my God. That was good. Um... Okay, so the victim's heart, lungs, and kidneys would then be removed, diced, and placed in the same bucket. Hello, cross-contamination. Mm. This would not pass a restaurant inspection. OSHA does not approve. Nope. Um, go back into the same bucket that had held the intestines before the legs and arms would then be severed from the body. He would then begin paring the flesh, like with a paring knife, um, from the limbs and torso. This surplus uh, flesh would be disposed of in the <gasps> toilet... Ugh. Or in a nearby river. In the nearby river. Yeah, so talk about, like, the plumbing is already bullshit, and he's fucking trying to flush human flesh well, down so the did, toilet. It's 1920. Like, their plumbing is so not So that good. one guy, remember? And then he got caught because of, he called a plumber, yep. and yeah. the plumber saw the sludge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I keep getting attracted <laughs> to cases where people ruin their well, plumbing. Well, you identify with, with people who clog toilets. <laughs> You are so right. I truly do. Um, The final section of the victim's bodies to be dismembered was the head. After severing the head from the torso, he would use a small kitchen knife to strip all the flesh from the skull. So I guess this also explains why these skulls were found pretty clean. Mm, Okay. Which he would then, he would wrap the skull in rags and place face downwards upon a pile of straw and bludgeon with an axe until the skull splintered, enabling him to access the brain. Oh my God. What? This he would, I know, there's, it's a process. <laughs> this he would also place in a bucket, which he would pour alongside the chopped up bones in the line river. When asked how many victims he killed, he claimed, quote, somewhere between 50 and 70. The police, however, could only connect him with the disappearance of 27 youths, and he was charged with 27 murders, some of which he claimed were committed upon the insistence of Hans Granz. Let's not forget Hans Granz. 
No, do not forget Hans Glantz, who was arrested on July 8th and formally charged with being an accessory to murder one week later. Fritz's trial was one of the most or was one of the first major modern media events in Germany and received extensive international press coverage, being described as, quote, the most revolting case in German criminal history. Mm-hmm. Varying sensational headlines in which Harmon was variously referred to by such titles as the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and the Wolfman mm. continuously appeared in See, the I press. See, I think I've heard of the Butcher of Hanover before, but hadn't looked into mm-hmm. the case. Okay, all right. This is it. Right. Where is he eating these people, then? He's just biting their Adam's apple. Where? And potentially eating... I mean, there's no, like, concrete confirmation that he consumed and or sold this meat. I just think he did because the rumors appear to be pretty on mm-hmm. brand okay. with mm-hmm. his bullshit. So he's minimum double threat, possible triple 100%. threat. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. The trial lasted barely two weeks and saw a total of 190 witnesses called up to testify, which is a fucking lot of witnesses. These witnesses included the parents of the victims who were asked to identify their son's possessions. Um, Also called to testify were police officers, psychiatrists, numerous acquaintances of both Harmon and Hans Granz. (laughs) Hans Granz Franz. Hans Franz Granz Franz Franz. Franz Franz. (laughs) Franz of Hans Grounds. Um, on December 19th, 1924, uh, the court reconvened to impose the sentences upon both defendants. Judge sane and accountable for his actions, he was Harmon was found guilty of 24 of the 27 murders and sentenced to death by beheading. Ooh. Ooh. Which, considering he did that yeah. to most of his victims, was very fitting. He'd probably be um, excited he, about that. Yeah, I mean... That's funny that you say that. Oh, my God. Uh, Because there's something coming up here. He was acquitted of three murders, which he denied committing. Um, Upon hearing about his sentence, Harmon stood before the court and proclaimed, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily. Oh, my God. Lucy called it. She's in his head. She fucking called it. (laughs) Hans Glanz, however, became hysterical upon hearing that he had been found guilty of incitement to murder and was also sentenced to death by beheading. Following Harmon's execution... His head was preserved in formaldehyde and remained in the possession of the Galtingen Medical School from 1925 until 2014 when it was cremated. Why? But don't worry. There's a photo on the drive. Yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> Look how well preserved that shit is. He looks like it looks like it could have been done yesterday. And I know. I know. Wow, I that's know. cool. Like he just looks like he could be like amazing? anybody's neighbor. Yeah. Oh my god. He still has the stubble. sides yep. of his forehead like where those cranial dips are, are like super Wait, wait, wait. Pronounced. Is this Kenyon's dad? Oh my god, he has fucking Is this Kenyon? Kenyon, that is your that forehead. That is my forehead, I know. He, he we need like to get you a 23 and me and see if you're my related face, to My Frank. face is my a neighbor. little bit longer. His face is oh quite god. just circular. 
Oh, my. Yeah, his head and his face are super, like, round. Yeah, and I have yeah. way more eyebrows than this man, so I don't think he's my dad. Yeah, no, there's no way you're related. It's just coincidence <laughs> that your foreheads are fucking well, identical. Well, I'm probably super um, German, so it's fine. It. I mean, w- the three of us probably have some German lineage. Wow. We're white. Thank you for um, this gift. Yeah, you're welcome. I knew you would fucking love it. Last detail. Um, at 6 a.m. on the morning of April 15th, 1925, he was beheaded by guillotine in the grounds of the Hanover prison. And there's his head. Um, this is so creepy. So in accordance with German tradition, Uh-oh. Harmon was not informed of his execution date until the prior evening. I like that. <laughs> I kind of like it, too. Mm-hmm. It's fucking brutal and kind of badass. It's like you're gonna die. You just don't know when, so enjoy your torturous final but days. But also, of it's a little bit less torturous because you only have to count down 24 hours. You don't have to count down years to the day. You know, that's true. But you could. I mean, I don't know if you're held before you're. Like, if there are acquittals and you go through all all this process or whatever, like, who knows how long they have to wait before they actually get... They could wait a long yes, time, but beheaded. they're not counting. It's not like they're, like, you know, with a red marker, like, on a calendar, like, counting down the date. No, I know. I, I mean, I think it's super fucking badass, but either way. But that's my case. Wow. My favorite part of this photo of the head in the jar is... <laughs> Lucy can't get past it. <laughs> and I'm, like, going to print it out. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you can see his like neck bones and whatever oh, I know. coming out the bottom of his neck. Yeah. Well, they have to secure him to like that little sand plastic pedestal. So he's standing up. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe they created shit. this. That is so disappointing. I know. So Isn't that disrespectful? A Listeners. I wonder if he was starting to like <laughs> flake apart or something. He looks. He was like losing some of his. Looks like he's in really good condition. Listeners, if any of you had the blessing of being able to see this head live before 2014, please email us. Live. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I mean, maybe that's why it had to be cremated because so many people with iPhones use Flash when they took pictures of it. God, so disrespectful. Deteriorated. Oh my God! You do not need your flash on for like ninety percent of the time. <laughs> People should just no, the have the quality is usually off. better if you don't use your flash. Okay. You guys, come Wait, on! Wait, I have one more thing to say about heads in jars. Okay. Mm. Um, and also about this butt plug from earlier in the episode. This true crime podcast festival in Chicago. You better believe the two of you are coming with me to the Surgical History Museum. Oh yes. Yes. It is one of my favorite places. Yeah. It's the happiest place on earth. 1,000%. We are planning the trip around that, and the True Crime Podcast Festival is secondary. I kind of want to invest in a guided tour. I'm just going to say. Okay. We can film it if they let us. Okay. Fuck yeah. You are allowed to take photos, except in the ne- in the neonatal room. Oh, that's sad. We wouldn't yeah. do that anyway. I don't want to take photos okay. in there. Do you have a joke, Lucy? I do. Let's wait till after special thanks as blackmail for people to listen to special thanks. Okay. <laughs> You're holding people hostage. Yeah, it's short. It's short. It's a short special thanks. All right. Special thanks this week to our amazing fan picker, Brandy Belchick. Bel- I think I'm saying yes, that right. thank this you. This is an awesome topic. Thank you so much. So good. Yeah. 
And special thanks to Anna McLean. I am surely <laughs> McLeaning that you're my good friend now. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa Marie. Uh, will you marry me? Oh, <laughs> Shout out to... Oh... Married, married. This looks like Gaelic, and I am not crushing it. Which means it's probably an absolutely fucking yeah. beautiful name. We just can't read it. Like the name Sersha. Yeah, Ugh. I love that name, but it's spelled in a way that no one who doesn't know would right. fucking be able to pronounce. Sorcy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So whatever your, however your name is pronounced. Thank you. I just Marriott. can't read it. Thank you for increasing <laughs> your pledge. <laughs> Ooh, I've got a fun one here. N, period. Beyond Olilo. Beyond Olilo. Beyond my I am dreams. beyond excited, yeah, that you're donating. Well, you've increased your donation from $1 to $5 a month. We very much appreciate those mm-hmm. increases. Beyond Olilo. And beyond Leo. And <laughs> beyond Leo. Okay, Brooke, cake chuck. Right? We cake. Sure. Chuck you enough. We cake to express our <laughs> gratitude. You will be getting a fucking patriarchy flexible wine glass in the mail, Brooke. Cake, We're going to cake chuck a glass at you. <laughs> but it won't break because it's made of plastic. Shout out to Layla Sullivan, also giving $10 a month, also getting a fucking patriarchy wine glass. Layla. I'm so sorry. I, I bet you get that every Hi. day. Got me oh, on my knees, Layla. Layla. We're giving you a wine glass, Layla. <laughs> uh, we're also giving one to Chantal Looney. You're not a loony. <laughs> I don't know. You're ama- You're absolutely amazing for giving us this $10 a month donation. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sarah Stanifer. We stan you. We will stan mm. for your honor. I'll stan for you. <laughs> I'll stan for you. Won't let nobody hurt you. Oh, this is a good one. I'll stan for you. Okay. Nailed this is another musical one. Linnea Bjork team. <laughs> Sometimes I put Nikos in the oven and it makes music. <laughs> Linnea, thank you for your donation. You are a Were beautiful Our Bjork impressions swan. are terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, Sarah Edwards, you're not giving us much to work with here, except for your amazing $15 a month donation. You're going to be getting some trash in the in the mail. As a red and word. I'm, as a red words <laughs> <laughs> for your generosity, Sarah hardly Noah. Okay, Holly Suter increased their Ooh. pledge from two to five dollars a month. That, sorry, two to fifteen dollars a month. Yes, you can do that, and that is whoa, super. Quinn. Super, mm-hmm. Holly Suter, you are super. Mm. Shout out to Jordan R. Duncan, also increased from five to fifteen dollars a month. Also getting some dusty, dusty trash. Oh, I mm-hmm. like that. 
I like that. And sweet Amanda Lou is giving $25 a month, so they get to pick They're a case and or topic. Two of your names. It should be Amanda Loonian. <laughs> That's true. If Lucy Amanda and I got sewn together <laughs> like crude Siamese twins, we'd be Human Amanda centipede. Lou. Oh, I'm in the front. No. There you is no front. my front. No, I'm in the front. <laughs> If we get all three of us into it, yeah, it could be like a daisy chain. Oh, my God. That's my nightmare. (laughs) Crazy chain. Okay. Mark Body increased their pledge from $10 to $25 a month, Mark. Also, I know you just put in a massive order for merch. Yeah. I hope you've gotten it by now. I had to go buy a specially large box for you, so God bless. (laughs) That's amazing. And you get an episode pick. We brought back the episode picks at uh, $25 a month, so send us those emails, Sure did. It turns out you're better at picking episode topics yeah. than we are. <laughs> so we Big need time. you. And last but not least, shout out to Elizabeth Bookliff. Elizabeth uh, donated $10 once off and $10 a month. So I think Elizabeth misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> but we are grateful. So get, get at us if one of those is a mistake. But thank you Just so no much. No card laid is a card played. Shoot us an email. Sorry about it. <laughs> thank you, Elizabeth. All right. Are you ready for my joke? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so ready. It's a vampire joke. Okay. Uh, I would hope so, since that's the topic of this episode. Okay. So three vampires are having a competition to prove who is the most vicious vampire among them. The strongest one started first. Watch this, he said, as he flew so fast, 100 miles an hour. After only 10 minutes, he came back with blood all over his mouth. What happened? The other two asked. Did you see that house over there? He said, yeah. Well, I killed the entire family and sucked their blood dry. Wow. Wow. That's fascinating. Um, As expected from the strongest vampire. Then the next eldest vampire took took his turn. Watch and learn, he said, as he flew even faster, about 120 miles an hour. After only five minutes, he came back with blood all over his mouth and his neck. What happened, they asked. Do you see that village over there? Yes, yes. Well, I killed every last person in that village and sucked their blood dry. Wow, magnificent, truly amazing. We can expect no less from the second eldest vampire. Finally, the last turn belonged to the fastest and the eldest vampire. Don't blink or you'll miss it, he said as he flew really fast, even faster than the other two, 140 miles an hour. After a mere 30 seconds, he came back with blood all over his mouth, his neck, and his nose. Wow, they said, what happened? He goes, do you see that big ash tree over there? Yes, yes, we do. Well, I didn't. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so fucking dumb. These jokes Everyone are getting longer and don't longer. Bleed. Idiot. God. Modern vampires do. Oh my oh god. god. I need to go so I can watch Twilight. Okay, I love you all. This is a crazy episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Goodbye. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. 
check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have wine recommendations or creepy true crime stories to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your podcasts. More importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to spread the word. We are a totally independent show, so if you'd like to support us and get a shout-out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Hi, this is Gary from Gangland Wire, and as our Scottish friends say, this is the best true crime mob podcast out there. Evening, folks. You are listening to Gangland Wire, and we love this podcast in Scotland. Right now, Gangland Wire has over 200 free episodes, so crime fans can binge for hours. Go to your favorite podcast app and search for Gangland Wire or just Google it. This podcast tells crime stories from the mouths of the cops and crooks who did it and the reporters who reported on it. We knew there was going to be a few hundred thousand in the bag. We didn't believe that it was going to be multi-millions. You know, if you get lucky, you get lucky. That's why I call it a score, because you never know the exact thing. But when you're doing... When you're doing all your reconnaissance work or, you know, you know, you're sitting on the score, pretty much you got an idea of what you're going to be walking into. We had a clock for a few hundred thousand and we were right. You know, turned out to be a nice score. Gangland Wire.